When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. The White House says Israel has agreed to daily four-hour pauses in airstrikes to allow civilians to flee the war zone in northern Gaza. Now, for context, so-called tactical pauses were already underway. 80,000 Palestinians were able to escape. And CBS News can confirm that talks are progressing towards a deal that would free between 12 to 15 hostages in exchange for a two- to three-day humanitarian pause and Nora, CIA Director William Burns and his Mossad counterpart are taking part in those discussions in Qatar. Hundreds of demonstrators marched through Manhattan, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, stopping traffic and vandalizing buildings. Free, free, free Palestine! On the steps of the New York Public Library, thousands of people rallied Thursday, calling to free Palestine. Grown protesters joined the hundreds of high school students who had walked out of classrooms across the five boroughs. They called for a ceasefire and said Israel's daily four-hour humanitarian pauses will not suffice. The anger was palpable from these young adults who have been watching war unfold for the last 33 days. The messages stopped some commuters in their tracks, including Evan, who feels these students do not know what they say. Uh, I heard people chanting Intifada, Intifada, along with Intifada. I was like, okay, that's pretty crazy. I have a cousin who was murdered the day before a wedding. She was uh, murdered in the second Intifada. If you're going to come all the way to the city to come protest, at least like you'd think they'd do a little bit of research. From Bryant Park, this crowd marched through Midtown, shutting down traffic and making their way to the New York Times building, where more demonstrators threw newspapers in the lobby and spray-painted the front windows, as well as police cars. The crowd continued on through Times Square, clashing at times with a handful of people carrying the Israeli flag before eventually dispersing. Dozens of uniformed police officers followed the demonstrators throughout their entire route. Despite the vandalism, the NYPD says they made no rest. Why not? Thank you, Sid, so much for all of your support. It means so much to us here. We feel that we feel our support from there, from from the state here to Israel. Hello, Hi, my name is Yassi Antipolsky. I'm Moshe and uh, we're in Miluim here in Israel, and we just want to say how much it means to us that you're using your platform to support Israel and support the soldiers and everything that we do here, and especially during the times when you know when we get so much uh, negativity from all sides, it makes a really big difference. So. Thank you so much from all of us. Thank you so much. It was amazing. Thank you, Sid, of all the good we... we All the good you do for us. All the good, the good you do for us. Thank you very much. We love you, Sid. Well, I can stand beside ideals I think are right. And I can stand beside the idea to stand and fight I do believe There's a dream for everyone This is our country There's room enough here For science to live 
there's room enough here for religion to forgive and try to understand of the people of this land. This is our country. Damn straight, this is our country. You tell them, John Cougar, Mellencamp, this is our country. 606 on your pre-Veterans Day Friday morning. We will celebrate our proud and courageous men and women, our veterans, today on WABC. And, of course, nobody does these days better than us. Sitting friends in the morning, nobody. So we're going to dedicate the next four hours to basically, well, to celebrating our brave and courageous, as I just mentioned, men and women. Now, Veterans Day is tomorrow, and that's when the rest of the country and the city will celebrate, including our beautiful Veterans Day parade, which I've been to just about every year. I will not be there this year because it's a Saturday. I was there last year. You know, last year, some guy, Fred, I wish I knew his last name. I'm sorry, Freddie. But my friend, uh, Chris Lenzo, who's a um, beautiful young lady, she runs the Metropolitan Republican Club, one of the people who runs it. She reached out to me and said, listen, uh, Freddie served in Vietnam, and he loves you, and he'd love for you to be on the Vietnam float. <laughs> it was like longer than a year ago, but I did it. It was a miserable day last year. If you remember, it was a Friday, I believe. It was a rainy, I mean, all day, the rain did not let up. Miserable. But the streets were still lined with proud New Yorkers and Americans, and I stood on that Vietnam float, and I loved it. I believe the weather's going to be nicer tomorrow, thank God. We won't have to endure what I did last year. And uh, only a few years before that, I believe during the, um, what was his name again? He went to Pittsburgh, the uh, program director. I liked him more than the powers that be did here. I thought it was actually Dave Labrosi. He put together a live show from the Veterans Day Parade. Me, uh, Bernard, God rest Bernie's soul, and Jill, and that was awesome. And then I stayed after we did our show for the actual parade. So we um, we take it very seriously here. We love Veterans Day. We love our veterans. One thing about WABC, me, John, Margot, Chad, is veterans, cops, fire, first responders, Frank Siller, my guy, Tunnel to Towers. We really do sincerely love these people. We love them. I wish the rest of the country did. They don't. They all say the nice and right things the next couple of days, but, you know, when you see veterans laying in the street, most of those guys are really from Vietnam. Nobody was treated worse coming home from any war than them. 
And, you know, you got illegals, migrants, however you want to call them, staying in five-star hotels across New York City and getting free food and booze and probably escorts from Qatar. Who knows? And our veterans sit in their own duty and piss right in the middle of the street. That's how we treat them. So the next two days, everybody's going to yell and scream and wear their American flags. And that's my only issue with this country is that we're not a very sincere country. And that comes from the very, very top. I don't want to make this a political day today. I really don't. I want to celebrate our men and women. But Joe Biden is such a piece of shizzle, such a low-life scumbag. Starts right there. Don't forget, 13 of our brave young men and women were massacred and killed in Afghanistan after his irresponsible and sloppy exit a couple years ago. But that's for another day. Parade is tomorrow. We're going to celebrate Veterans Day today. And the open, I love the open that Justin put together today, the very end there, you heard audio from what are four videos on my Instagram page. And if you don't follow me on Instagram, I compel you to do it right now, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, Instagram and Facebook, Sid Rosenberg as well. So you guys know that I've got a friend who used to live in New York, in the five towns, and now he lives in Israel. And his name is Judah Honigman. And he's been on this show, what, about uh, two or three times now, Judah? Yep. you yep. got beautiful family, five kids, and lives just outside Jerusalem. And we spoke to him not long after the initial attacks on October the 7th. He's coming back again Monday. So I get a call yesterday from Israel. you know, And I get a little nervous because... I really believe at this point there was a target on my back. Again, these low-life scumbags marched across our city yesterday, starting in Bryant Park, made their way to the New York Times building, and through stuff and at cops, it's the same old garbage, and no one got arrested. Arrested, they should beat these people with bats, beat them unconscious, these idiotic kids who have no idea what the hell they're even doing there, let alone representing murderers, they're assholes, they're lowlifes, they're dumb, ignorant kids, and they're ruining our city every day. And I know that Eddie Caban, my dear friend, the police commissioner, and Mike Kemper, my dear friend in charge of the transit, I know they can't beat him to death, but they want to. I know they want to. I want to. Sick of these people. I am sick of them in the streets every day. I'm not even sure why I uh, went off on that tangent, but well, you one thing led to another. You yeah. uh, were talking about uh, your friend Judah. Judah, yes. Yeah. So oh, I know why because when I see my phone ring from Israel, I'm always nervous that it could be one of these, you know, animals calling me from Israel and saying, "Hey, Sid, we're coming to get you," you know, which I shouldn't say on the air because. Now I'm going to inspire some idiot, some coward, some pussy to do that. Some person that if I saw them in the street, it would take me about 30 seconds to clean their clock. But when you're on the Internet, you're a very, very tough guy. You know, you can kill everybody. But I picked it up, and it was Judah. He's never called me before. We communicate on WhatsApp. And he said, Sid, you're not going to believe this. I said, now what? I mean, almost every day, you know, I get messages now from... 
not just Jews. I want people to know this, you know, because people now call me the king of the Jews. I got guys making me T-shirts. I got Bo. I got all these people calling me that. And I must tell you, to be completely honest, that I get just as much superlatives thrown at me from non-Jews as I do Jews. Because this is not about Jews. This is about humanity. Humanity. All my friends who are mostly Italian, not Jews, are good humans. And they appreciate what I've done the last couple of months. So it's not just about the Jews. But Judah calls me and he goes, Sid, you're not going to believe this. I go, what's up? I'm making a barbecue right now. And I've invited all these Israeli IDF soldiers to my house. And they're here right now. As we speak, I'm making hot dogs and hamburgers. They're drinking Israeli beer. They're having a great time. He said, well, I wish I was there. He said, no, no. He said, unprovoked, these soldiers told me, next time you're on the show with Sid up in New York, please thank him. Tell him how much we love him. Oh, my God. You know, I know. Of course, you knew this. It's a nice job there. I think, like you didn't know, but oh, yeah, okay. that's but, right. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, I love your reaction. <laughs> but no, but that's how you really feel, Lou. I know you do. You said it yesterday. Oh my God! So you can imagine how I feel. Wait a second. I got one video of the guy holding. I don't even know what that gun is—an AK-47, maybe. I don't know. Well, it's clear they're going through their day, and uh, maybe it's during this barbecue or where they are, but it's raw. And it's footage of them just stopping to to give you thanks. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. Thank you, Lewis. They're dressed in their Israeli soldier uniforms. They got guns. And, and you're right, Lewis. That's thank you. That's exactly what they did. They stopped to thank me because some of them have family here in New York, in the United States. But either way, a lot of those guys are so upset with the American government. You know, for everybody that says, well, Joe Biden had a nice, don't believe it, folks. They are upset in Israel, very upset. This idiot Biden once again is asking for a ceasefire. He wants it longer than four days. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. And the Israeli soldiers know all this. They're very upset. They want people who are 100% on their side. Not October 7th was bad, but once you add the word but, You've lost them, and you've lost me. So I show these videos to my beautiful wife, Danielle, and my son, Gabe, and my daughter, Avon. And uh, Danielle and I actually got emotional, to be honest. And she said, in the 31 years I'm with you, you've done mostly amazing things and some really, really crappy things, which is true. I've never been more proud of you. Never. And that... um. That felt great. It felt great. In fact, on the same day that my cousin Candy, Candace Gittleman, was rummaging through her old photos and slides and found a picture of a 17-year-old Sidney Ferris Rosenberg with his father, Harvey, who was taken in 1984, with me looking at my dad like he was, and he was, my hero. And that picture I also posted this morning, and you can see it right now, once again, Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney on Instagram and Facebook, Sid Rosenberg. So those videos are there, and they're great, and, you know, those kids are out there, and 
putting their lives on the line for Israel, which to me is my country as well. I've got a flag here from our guy, Anthony, a couple of days ago, all flags, which is half the U.S. flag and half the Israeli flag. Yeah, I root for two teams, okay? I root for the Jets and the Giants. I root for the Mets and the Yankees. I root for Israel and the United States. So thank you for that. Those guys uh, those guys were just great. And so after that last night, I was tired. It was emotional. But I had made a promise on the air. You may have heard this. We have the great constitutional attorney, Alan Dershowitz, on two days ago, and somehow... 85-year-old Alan Dershowitz and I have become really, really good friends. It's legitimate. Good friends. And you may remember, if you were listening two days ago, he mentioned on the air, I said, you know, Danielle, my wife is an attorney, and she loves you, reveres you, and we really want to take you and your wife, Carolyn, out for dinner. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. There's a documentary coming out about me. This is a couple days ago. And it opens in the East Village on Thursday night, and we're going So we want to invite you, and then afterwards we'll go for dinner. So at 5 o'clock last night, for the second time in the same day, I went back on the ferry with Danielle and headed back to New York City for a 6 p.m. showing in the East Village of the Trials of Alan Dershowitz. And I'm not going to lie to you. At one point on the ferry, I said, what the hell am I doing? I love Alan, but (laughs) I'm exhausted what, what am I going to watch? And Danielle said to me, why are you in such a bad mood? I said, I'm tired. She goes, then let's go home. I said, no, no, no. You love Alan. You want to see this. I promised we would do this. I'll be fine. Don't worry. But let me tell you something. This film was two hours long. That's long, two hours. And when it was over, I said to Danielle, I said, man, I wish it was three. Now, I have no reason to suck up to Alan Dershowitz. He doesn't put one penny in my bank account, not one. And truth be told, he and I disagree on a lot of stuff. He's still a Democrat for some stupid reason and refuses to admit that Joe Biden has destroyed this country. His family likes Joe Biden. So we've got a lot of issues, even though I love the man. This documentary is unbelievable. I could not stop watching it. Almost every major case, everyone, the impeachment of three presidents, Nixon, Clinton, and Trump, the O.J. Simpson trial, the Jeffrey Epstein trial, saving Jews in Soviet Jewry, dating back to one case I had no idea, which was a great part of the movie. He represented a guy named Harry Reams, who was the male star in one of the most highest Grossing porn films ever, starring Linda Lovelace, Deep Throat, which he says in the movie he never saw, and I've seen a hundred times. And I say that with no remorse. Another another difference in your relationship. (laughs) Well, I'll get to the the more differences later. So I had no idea that Alan represented Reams because back then, pornography over state lines was a felony. And this poor bastard Weems, they paid him a hundred bucks to make this movie. The movie grossed over thirty million. He made a hundred bucks. He had no money. He did the case pro bono. Pro boner, maybe in this case. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. Try the veal. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, right. It's Friday night. Uh, enjoy yourself. 
So there was a, a cases in this movie I had no idea that Alan Dershowitz was even involved in. It is an incredible story. And the guy that did this movie, this John Curtin, was able to go back and forth. He can go from the O.J. trial in 1994 to something Dershowitz did on a college campus in 1963, and it was seamless. If you have any appreciation for history, you got to see this. And there's three or four men they use in the movie that opine about Allen over the years. One of those guys happens to be Ron Kuby. So at one point during the movie, all three of those guys that are interviewed quite a bit through the movie, all of them turn on Alan Dershowitz, which I found to be very interesting. Why? Not because he represented O.J., not because he represented uh, even Jeffrey Epstein. No. Donald Trump. Here's Kuby, this piece of garbage, who has defended terrorists, sheiks, people who have blown up buildings. He's out there. It took him six hours. It took Ron Kuby not six days, six hours to show sympathy for the Palestinians and Hamas on his Facebook page. Six hours. Just recently, he posted on Facebook that people should be ripping down the hostage signs because it's against city ordinance to post that stuff, and in effect, it's like cleaning up litter. Gave him credit. This scumbag. And he's in the movie a lot. But all these guys turn their backs on Dershowitz because of Trump. His own wife who sat next to me afterwards at dinner, was furious with Alan because he defended Trump. you got to see the movie, and then the movie ends. It's late. It's like 8.30. They did a 30-minute Q&A inside the theater. i got to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I think we're going home, and Alan says, hey, dinner. And we walked one block to 11th Street and 2nd Avenue to a very good sushi place, and the nine of us had dinner together. Alan, his wife Carolyn, his son Elon, the maker, the filmmaker, John Curtin, his family, me and Danielle, and we sat there till 11 o'clock. I did not walk in my house until 12.03. I got exactly, exactly two hours sleep, two hours. And 24 minutes in, I never sounded better. And that's why, folks, I'm the best in the business. If you don't believe me, ask Kelly Ripper, Donald Trump, Mark Levin, Michael Savage, and millions of others. Oh, the list is endless now. Endless. Israeli soldiers. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get higher than that right now. It was a, it was, you can't get better than that, I no. mean, these guys are cleaning their guns. Yeah. Oh, Sid. <laughs> right in the middle of God. Oh, hey. <laughs> I'm looking at it. It's true. Well, these guys are... These guys are going to war. Yeah. These guys are going into an insane battle yeah. atmosphere. And they found a way to thank <laughs> me. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, this barbecue is good. Thank you, Judah. Oh, Sid, by the way. <laughs> Everything you've done. Oh and on two hours sleep. Yeah. And here I am. And I wouldn't miss this, of course, because, again, Veterans Day means so much uh, to me, to John, to Margo, and Chad Lopez, the president here at this company, he is uh, one of our heroes. Chad Lopez served proudly in the Navy, was on a ship for years all over the world. So at some point, I hope Chad sticks his head in because he needs to be celebrated today 
like the rest of these folks. And we got a great show coming up for you. My good buddy Tom Sullivan ran for office in Queens a couple of times. He'll run again. He served in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Kuwait. Also saved people in burning buildings on 9-11. All true stories. Tom Sullivan will join me at 645. The great Curtis Sliwa. He'll be here at 710. We will talk to Israeli IDF soldier Yahya Fleischer coming up at 745. At 810, we'll talk to John Katsimatidis and Mr. Tunnel to Towers, Frank Siller. Also coming up at 845, Colonel Jack Jacobs. He served us in Vietnam. He's won just about every medal you can get. 910, Attorney Thomas Kniff. He's representing a guy that I think is a hero, Daniel Penny. And Kniff also served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we'll wrap it up at 930 with a great American songwriter and singer, Lee Greenwood. The number is always 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Folks, stay right here. Let's honor America's best. Veterans Day with me, Sid, only on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Still alive, someday it will come true. And this country it belongs to folks like me and you. So let the voice of freedom sing out through this land. This is our country. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Bruno. He's your numero uno. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Oy. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. I think now, looking back, we did not fight the enemy. We fought ourselves. And the enemy was in us. The war is over for me now. But it will always be there the rest of my days. As I'm sure Elias will be. Fighting with bars for what Ra called possession of my soul. There are times since I felt like the child born of those two fathers. 
But be that as it may, those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again, to teach to others what we know, and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life. Sing out a key. Oh, baby, how The great Joe Cocker. And the scene there was my favorite war movie. I know a lot of you folks probably consider Apocalypse Now the best or Full Metal Jacket. My favorite is Platoon. And I thought Charlie Sheen, for a guy that Ended up spending a lot of time doing cocaine and porn stars. That was an unbelievable role he played in Platoon. He was not good. He was great. It was a great cast. I mean, Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe, just an unbelievable movie. But Sheen was great. And, um, well, look, you you look at Vietnam, and we're going to talk to Colonel Jack Jacobs coming up at 845 this morning, decorated just about every, you know, medal you can get. He got And as I said, all the wars, you know, I guess if you go to Google, they list 12 from the American Revolution to the War of 1812 to the Indian Wars, the Mexican-American Wars, 1861 through 1865, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, 1914 through 1918, World War I, 1939 through 1945, World War II, the Korean War, 1950 to 1953, Vietnam, 20 years, folks. 1955 to 1975, to the Persian Gulf War, which they only consider a one-year war under Bush 41. But, of course, we know we fought in Iraq and Afghanistan for 20-plus years. But nobody got treated worse than our vets from Vietnam and still don't. I mean, Curtis is going to come on at 710. He'll tell you. He'll tell you how many of those guys that are homeless now that don't get treated nearly as nicely nearly as nicely as the illegals. And I have no patience for that. I've run out of patience with a lot of things in this city. These scumbags that march every day, these pro-Palestinian losers. You know, they picked on a couple of folks yesterday holding Israeli flags, and Danielle gets mad at me because I always say, and I mean this, I wish they would pick on me. But they won't because they're cowards. Because I'm bald and muscular, and I will fight you until one of us dies. I mean it. I mean it. But they'd rather have the heavy set kid with a yarmulke and sitsis and who looks like he's going to shul, not going to the gym. I'll kick these bastards right in their face. 
You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. You know, I do want to thank Greg Kelly. Greg's on this station one to three every day. We've had an up-and-down relationship, and I still think he's a weirdo, to be honest, but I really want to thank him for his service. Because he is a hero. Greg Kelly, like him or not, is a hero. And I like his father more, but I, I do want to thank Greg Kelly for his for his service. Are you want to pop? Uh, what, what is your favorite war movie? I'm just curious. Uh, well, the, when you see a few of these in the movie theater, <clears throat> I remember Platoon, and it made you feel like your head was going to explode. Right? It was so intense. So intense. That's when you know you are living through what these guys must see, have. See, full, metal, full metal, metal Jacket yeah. did that for me, but only the first half. Right. Well, then it Once they got of, out of the camp and Matthew Modine ended up fighting in the war, it was awful. Right. It, it slowed down. The pace was off. Right. And um, the boot camp scene when the guy blows his brains out in the bathroom right. and kills his drill sergeant. Well, that's everything leading up to that was intense. Intense. Uh, right. Because, but the second half wasn't good. No. Bernard used to say because he went. He loved Paris that. Movie. Yeah, yes, he, he did. was on yeah. Paris Island. For yeah. He was going to yeah. he was joining up. He said, oh, yeah, it was worse than that. They would. Yeah. When you got up in the morning and, you know, you. Had to use the bathroom. They wouldn't let you. They'd be banging you with on the socks and soap. They'd hit you, yeah. and guys were just going to the bathroom as they ran out to line up, and they just drill it into you. Yeah. But Saving Private Ryan, you got that first forty-five minutes. Oh no, minutes that's to true. That, that may be the best one. You're is, right. Is just you, it starts right away. It starts, and they are dumping those guys off. I, I forget what they're called. No, it was Normandy. They they yes, they were when and, they're storming and, the beach, and it was it was miserable weather. They delayed that that uh, that Normandy invasion because of the weather. Right. And the day they went, it was still miserable. It's terrible. Lots of these kids were throwing up in the boat. From they were the, getting killed on the boat. On the they boat. They never the made it to the shore. It's a brutal scene. You're right. The first forty minutes of Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks did an unbelievable job and Sizemore and. Matt Damon, all those guys. That is a great film. Just in, insane. And it doesn't really let a lot of it is intense. And then one that's forgotten about. Because, Hamburger Hill. Hamburger Hill. Okay. No, was, that's not the one you're going to say? I was going to say Deer Hunter. Oh, God, come on. How, that was Vietnam. Yeah. And you I, guys haven't even gotten into the modern warfare route. Forget about that. The, that one you just named, that's the best one of all. Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken. Walken. Um, and the guy, uh, believe it or not, the guy that played Fredo in The Godfather. Oh, yeah. John, he died a young man, John Cazale. John Cazale, yeah. Who, at that point, when he made that movie, I think, was banging Meryl Streep, a very young Meryl Streep. Yeah. They were engaged, maybe even married. I don't know. Al Pacino used to say, he taught me how to act. Who's that? Cassali. John Cassali. I know. Yes. That may, that may have been the best one of all, Deer Hunter. It's, that scene when they're playing Russian roulette. Oh, it's really brutal. Oh, Lou. It's brutal. What were you going to say, Justin? What well, the, no, I mean, because you, you, you start to get into, like, more modern stuff, like the war in Iraq. You know, you have a lone survivor, American sniper. Oh, thank you for are, that. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about classics here. Those are classic. Those are no, modern no, day classics. No, they're, they're not classics. Then, uh, the no. Band of Brothers on HBO is a great TV show. I'm begging you to stop. Watch that. They, I'm, they I'm, the, I'm I, begging. Soldiers to narrate Please. The, and then, what do I got to do? And you got like Zero Dark Thirty is also. Okay, thank you very much. This is this is <laughs> like the Hurt Locker. It's also a good one. That was a good movie, the Hurt Locker. Yes, that was a good, of all the uh, movies you just mentioned. That was the one that did strike me as pretty good. Uh, was that Woody Harrelson in that? No, no, no. What was um, the movie where Woody Harrelson played <clears throat> the guy that has to come to the door and tell the families when they've lost a loved one? That was a brutal movie. Relatively recent. Very good. Was that the Hurt Locker? That was great. I don't know. Must not be. Well, I don't know. You know, the thing about these movies is 
for folks that don't realize this, <laughs> these are true stories. Yeah. Like, these men really died on the beaches of Normandy and in Vietnam and Iraq, Afghanistan, all these places. Haven't we had Chris Kyle on before? I think we have. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. Chris has been dead for many years. They made a movie about Chris called This American Sniper. Yeah, but he died not that long ago. No, long ago. Uh, The guy that worked with Chris Kyle in Afghanistan, Iraq, I forget, is a guy named Kevin Laz. Yes, that's who. And Kevin joins me every year. We didn't put Kevin on today because we're just too packed. Yeah. But I've invited Kevin down, for example, September 10th every year. I go down to the Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium on Coney Island where they do the uh, the 9-11 the day before at the Wall of Remembrance where every firefighter, cop, and first responder from Brooklyn who died on 9-11, we honor those folks on September the 10th. And Kevin comes in from Texas every year for that. He's a great guy. Great guy. But it was him, not uh, not Chris Kyle. There you go. All right, we'll talk to uh, Tom Sullivan coming up next. It is 641 on this Veterans Day here at WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Great David Bowie, we could be heroes. We throw that word around a lot. I did a lot in the nearly two decades I spent as a sports talk show host. Heroes. I mean, such nonsense. The guys that we're going to speak to today on this show and the millions of other men and women who will celebrate tomorrow on our 85th Veterans Day, they're heroes. I mean, I'm a hero to a certain extent. Wouldn't you agree, Lou? I mean, to a certain extent, I provide hope for... Uh, yes. I don't know. You're a hero, yes. Did that make I you feel better? I don't think you're very sincere about it. It's not really. In fact, I think you're patronizing me, you dick face. But, well, okay, when's the last time somebody... Called uh, me a hero? Yesterday. No, I, oh. that wasn't oh. going to be my question, but oh. a real hero would have waited. Was what, When's the last time an actual hero... Uh, try to cajole the person into saying, don't you think I'm a hero? When's the last Probably hero? not often. Probably no, not often, no. yeah. But that's, I'm different. I'm a different type of hero. That's what makes you unique, yes. Well, that's, I'll tell you what. But I'll, I'll admit it, sure. Right now, you're a hero, yes. Tom yes. Sullivan lives uh, very close to you and I, yes. Lewis. He's a, and another, he's a, he's a hero. He's a hero. Breezy Point guy, Mike Sullivan's brother. Everybody knows Tommy. Ran for office twice, going to run again. He served in Afghanistan. He served in Iraq. He served in Kuwait. And if that's not enough, showed up on 9-11 and put bodies on his shoulder and saved lives. As the World Trade Center was coming down and burning, he saved lives. 
So on a serious note, calling myself a hero is stupid compare myself to this guy. But if Tom Sullivan says I'm a hero, then I'm going to wear it. Okay. Tom, am I a hero? Well, the fact that you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, stay out till midnight, and then do it again the next day, that's uh, that's pretty tough there. That, that's a hero in my book. Yeah! I might have taken the other ferry back. <laughs> <laughs> you are the best. Uh, Tom Sullivan, so uh, you've run now twice. You ran for uh, assembly, and you won. But everybody knows what happened. Uh, Stacey Pfeiffer Amato cheated, nepotism, the whole thing, and they stole it from you. I know people hate to hear about stolen rigged elections, but it really does happen. It happened to you. And before that, did you run for state senate? Was that it? I did. I did. You know, and I, I always run with a good intention, and I have to blame my father, who's who would, who I always made his head spin with uh, all the things I get involved in. But he, uh, you know, he taught me never to give up. So, uh until things start to straighten out in our neighborhoods here, uh, I'll keep running as long as I have the support of the people. And uh, they've they've shown that time and time again, regardless of the results. So I'll keep fighting for them. You know, your I'll father was uh, your father John was a great man. I I knew him as a little boy. He was dear friends at my next door neighbor who recently died, Louis Iavine, and. I love your father, and now you, uh, you're you not planning on, well, obviously we just went through Election Day, but something tells me maybe next year, 2024, that great Sullivan name may be back on a ballot. You want to announce that now, or you want to wait? Oh, no, 100%. We're in, all in, as they say, you know. 100%. Is, it, is this assembly now? What are you running for this time? The, the same, same seat as last time, the State Assembly for the 23rd Assembly District here in uh, Lower Queens, Southern Queens. And those uh, communities uh, include, uh, I guess, where we live, uh, right? Uh, basically, from the Atlantic Beach Bridge, uh, you know, into Far Rockaway, Bell Harbor, Naponza, Breezy Point, and then you start to head north into uh, Broad Channel, Howard Beach, Lindenwood, Ozone Park, Hamilton Beach, towards the Racino there, off the uh, the North Conduit, Bell Parkway area. Do you go as far as Middle Village, or no? No. No, no, that that was the Senate seat. The Senate they redrew that as well. Right, they, right. They, they redrew all those lines. Yeah, that was a that was a tough one, boy. That was tough, and I remember election day. It was pouring. pouring. We're going back. This is what, like six years ago, and and I and I helped you out with the campaign. I was all yeah, too happy Mark to do Malinaro it. Mark Molinaro was out there. Yes, with, Mark Molinaro and Eric Coleridge at the time before we got into trouble. All these other folks, and uh, and I love Eric to this day. But anyway, uh, long story short, I remember standing outside a middle school by a by a cemetery in Middle Village, uh, pumping up Tom Sullivan on a rainy day, and ended up at a yeah. pizzeria in Howard Beach. But it was still a great experience for you. I can tell you that. Yeah. Right. It was. It was. You know, I, I always tell people, listen, it, it's not easy campaigning, uh, but being part of uh, the great democratic process um, is an amazing, uh, exhausting uh, time out there. You meet so many great people uh, and you meet you know, not so many great people out there <laughs> can be real jerks, but you take you take it. You know, you got to focus on the good. Now let's talk and, about uh, let's talk yeah. about your uh your family history when it comes to uh, Veterans Day. So, and if I get anything incorrect here, Tom Sullivan, feel free to correct me. As far as I know, you served in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Kuwait. And I know your brothers, you know, Brian was a cop, but, um, you know, you've got other brothers, uh, even as we speak in Washington, D.C., that uh, work with some of the biggest intelligence people in this country. Am I right when I say there are seven brothers? How many of you, three or four, served uh, some type of uh, armed forces? 
Oh, well, five of us started out with uh, boarding military high schools. Uh, two of my brothers uh, wound up going to West Point. Uh, even with the two of them, I, I couldn't get in there. Right. Uh, so, so I went ROTC. Um, well, actually, I, I met your, your brother Michael, who everybody loves, of course, Mr. Brennan and Carr, because of his stay at LaSalle with Joseph Iovine. Right, right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, you're 14 years old, you go in. Uh, it, it's not for everybody, and that, that that's an important lesson to learn, you know, about service. And uh, I know places like Israel, uh, you have to, right? Because you know they just they need the people. They have the they don't have the size of population places like America to pull from. So that that two year service, uh, you know, and I know a lot of people talk about that that they would have liked two years service, but it's it's certainly not for everybody. And and the draft was definitely. A tough time in this, 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 uh, you know, especially during the Vietnam War. I heard you guys talking about some movies, um, but you know, an all volunteer force is 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 still the American way right now. Uh, hopefully, we never have to go to a draft again. Yeah, but you know, it's something you know you learn from your parents, your grandparents. My father was drafted on his wedding day. Didn't know how to tell us, you know, my mom. <laughs> that oh my god, I, I didn't I know that. Your a great story. Did he fight in World War II? Your father? Where did he fight? No, 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 no. He was drafted towards the very end of Korea. Korea, right? Fifty-three. Yeah. That makes more sense, right? Yeah. When they just uh, when things started, you know, yeah, uh, you know, they never never called it. They just called the truce there, and it's still just the truce, right? They didn't. Well, I mean, it still is. I mean, you got Kim Jong Un in North Korea yeah. who tries to eff it up every day. But but every so, so for you, so you go to military academy, and then when do you make the conscious decision, Tom Sullivan? Yeah, take that's that. an interesting question. Yeah. So I, I go to college and uh, I, I join the ROTC program because I was still not sure at that time. You know, it wasn't that I didn't want to serve. It's what, what I wanted to do afterwards. I never wanted to go on active duty, right? I wanted to be in the reserves, trained and educated should something happen. And early on, I had some, you know, older uh, experienced military people in the program they looked down at that. They were like, what do you mean you're guaranteed to go in the reserves? And I said, well, I want to be a New York City police officer, and I don't want to get anything in the way of that, but I want to be in this program in case something happens. Little did I know that I'd be on the 96th floor of the World Trade Center when something happened. Wow. And I, I, I was set, had, you know, it was shortly after that I get a phone call in the new office. I got 72 hours to get to Fort Dix. I come home, I start dumping my drawers into my, my duffel bag, and uh, it, it was shock to the family, the extended family, and uh, thank God for my family. Uh, but, you know, then I went to, to Fort Dix, and I wound up with 168 people I never met before, and now I'm in charge. And uh, it was possibly one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. So wow, that was that was the first time in 2003, then 2006, and 2009, and 2016. Little did I know that I would, you know, be doing that, getting mobilized four times. So you were deployed well four times. So you were deployed in um, in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Kuwait. Yes, correct. Yeah. What was the order? I'm just curious. Where'd you go first? So it, it was, you know, basically for Iraq, and it was for uh, 
Yeah, I start to lose myself. So Iraq, Kuwait, then Afghanistan. So, so you know? on his question, you're as tough yeah. as nails. I mean, you're the sweetest guy. All you guys, all the Sullivans, you're all sweethearts. For as tough as you are, cops and army guys and all that, you're all really nice people, which, of course, is a testament to your wonderful mom and dad, who I knew very well and know very well. Um, but you're a tough guy. You end up in Iraq, right? And, again, all you want to do is be a police officer in New York City. You're in Iraq. Were you scared to death? Or were you like, hey, I signed up for this. Let's go. No, I signed up for this. Let's go. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of my uh, contentions that I've had with the military for many years with our early on training programs, like basic training now. Um, you got to be tough. You know, you, you were talking earlier about Full Metal Jacket and the way that, that General, uh, the, drill, the drill sergeant was in you know, Arlie Army, right? That was that movie was good. You talked about the first half, right? Why? Because it was the truth. That's the way you got treated. He was preparing you for something horrific. Um, and we're not doing a great job at that anymore. You know. It, well, when you it, say it, we're not doing a good job anymore, and, and we only have a couple of minutes to go, but I got to keep talking to you because you're right. Because uh, I hear this all the time, and I have these conversations with Colonel Jack Keen and Jacob, so joined me later on today at Vietnam Bet, in that uh, all this woke stuff with the army, you know, worried about gays yeah. and transgenders and you know, yeah. even gender. Uh, we're not concerned anymore about putting our best product on the field, if you will. Now it's about appeasing every race, every gender, every sexual preference. Is that what you're talking about, the woke army? Yes and no. So we still are concerned about putting the best people on the ball, on, on the field, right? Uh, it's just we've, we've now distracted from the shooting, the physical fitness, the land navigation, the basic soldier skills to all these other things. There are so many hours in a day, and, and when you have a limited time at basic training, um, or at any of these other camps, you, you start filling it with other things and you're taking away from the things that unfortunately could matter most one day to save your life. So, and, um, yep. so you prepare for the worst, you know, and uh, it, it, it's when, when you skip a couple of meals or you're getting really cold or you're extremely hot, you know, you, you can't break down physically or mentally. And we're losing that ability to teach. You know, just a real quick story. I did something really stupid as a cadet, and I had a drill. I had a. He wasn't a drill sergeant, but he was my sergeant. And he he threatened to put his foot up my ass and kick it and break my hand. And he did it because the guy loved me. And I stay in touch with that guy today. He lives in Fort Mill, South Carolina. I brought my wife up there. And your kid uh, goes to school down there in South Carolina, so that works. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I, I got one in Alabama who, within a matter of months, is going to be in the, in the military. He's a great kid, Sean. I love that kid. Yeah, yes. yeah you've, you, you've met him at the gym. <laughs> Many times. He's tougher than I am. Um, <laughs> he, you know, now, you know, I, I, geez, I, I used to tell my wife the reason I served so much and did it for 30 years is so my kids didn't have to. And, you know, you can't stop them. He's, he, this is what he wanted to do. It's awesome. But, uh, you, you see what's happening. So that, so, so going back to that story with the sergeant, he, he taught you a pretty good life lesson there, didn't he? Life lesson. Life lesson. So, so you know, I'm in Afghanistan, and this guy's in my head, right? He, he said things like, keep, keep your head on a swivel, stay alert, stay alive, uh, take care of your soldiers, you know, before you're taking care of yourself. you got to take care of yourself, but... You know, take care of them better. And uh, that, that lesson carried me 
every day of my life. And uh, when it's dark and you're on unfamiliar roads and there's people that, that are looking to harm you while you're trying to get from A to B, uh, it, it's, it's people like him. Now, today, if he said something like that, could you imagine? I yeah. mean, I, I know you're not in the military, but do you think he could get away with that? No, no. Put his foot up my ass? No. I, don't, I don't hold any. This is the guy that cared about me. Right. Well, listen. And I did something stupid. Right. No, listen. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, I know you love me. We've been friends for 40 years, but you love this show because that's how I talk. <laughs> you know, that's how I talk. I don't hold back either. And, and every once in a while, you, you got to talk like that. You know, I, I, I grabbed the barrel of an M60 machine gun after it fired over 2,000 rounds, and, and my hand almost stuck to it. Wow. <laughs> and he looked at my hand. He goes, when, when your hand gets all better, I want you to come back and see me because I'm going to shove it up your ass. <laughs> oh, God, I love this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's just like the guy with Full Metal Jacket. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I got the message. Yeah, he, you he got said, the I message. don't ever want you yeah. to do that again. Yeah. Because next yeah. time it could be a lot worse. Right, you could die, God forbid. And, but yeah. that, that's to try to answer your question of when you're in a dark, strange, unfamiliar place. Yeah. And, uh, those are the people that keep you. Keep you strong. Uh, and alive. Keep you strong and alive, yeah, quite alive. frankly. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Tom, listen, I love you. Uh, you. You join me on this day every year, and you really are yeah, a hero. You. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, thanks for celebrating our veterans. We talk about Memorial Day. Those are the deceased. Veterans Day, celebrate, go up, shake a hand, say thank you to anybody that's maybe wearing a hat. And, um, you know, my favorite... One of my favorite movies is Glory. I know you guys were talking about oh, that. Movie. Movie. That's another good one. Yeah. But if you want to laugh, Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you is. Want a... talk, you want to talk about a cast? Yeah. That cast goes on forever. Kelly's Heroes. You're right, Tom. I love you. Happy Veterans Day, and thank you for your service. You too. God bless everybody, and I, I love our veterans. Tom Sullivan, ladies and gentlemen, the wraps up, wraps up our number one. He's a great guy and a great guest. A great guy and a great guest. And if you don't vote for Tom Sullivan in 2024, you are the enemy. He should be up higher. Of man. course. He should, should be running. Not even so a good. Forget about assembly. He should be like a, a senator. Yeah. He should be in, 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 well, maybe Trump when Trump wins. He'll uh, bring out a guy. You so know, Trump asked my friend smart. Vinny Viola to be secretary of the Army years ago, but he didn't do it. He's too busy um, owning the Florida Panthers and Kentucky Derby horses. But Sullivan is one of those guys. Anyway, that wraps up our number one. We'll come back with our two, Curtis Sliwa and uh, an IDF soldier in Israel. Yes. Yishi Fleischer. Sitting friends in the morning. We'll be right back. We could still time. Just for one day. We can be heroes. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Notice this morning is when we do these uh, shows, whether it's, and you keep playing this, Memorial Day or Veterans Day, the best music 
For these shows, this is the late, great Tom Petty, American Girl. Yes, uh, great ratings, of course, every weekday afternoon on the uh, Rip and Weed, noon to one. Great ratings, great ratings overnights on the weekend as well. But Augie does his best uh, Augie does his best work with me every morning right here at this time because he's great. So I went down to the East Village last night. I came back to New York City. I'm working on two hours sleep. That's the truth. I walked in my house at 12.03 a.m. this morning, and I was up at 3. Um, but I went to see the new Alan Dershowitz documentary at the theater in the East Village, and then had dinner with Alan, his wife, his son, and about nine of us afterwards. And the movie was unbelievable. When you consider what Alan Dershowitz has been involved in, all three impeachments, Nixon, Clinton, and Trump, O.J. Simpson, you know one of his best clients was? Mike Tyson. But he failed. He said in the movie, he said, I failed Tyson. He was innocent, but I failed him on that alleged rape with Desiree Washington. But for you, Curtis, reason why I bring it up to you, you should see it. But they have three or four people in the movie they continue to interview throughout the movie. And one of those guys you know pretty well, Ron Kuby. And you know that I had a relationship with Ron Kuby up until October 6th. So that scumbag took six hours, not six days, not six months, six hours to condemn Israel. While their people were being beheaded, raped, and murdered. He is a piece of garbage. And I'm thrilled to death my good buddy, Chad Lopez, who also we celebrate today as a member of the Navy, fired him. One of the best moves. In fact, the two best moves Chad ever made was hiring me and firing him. So he's in the movie quite a bit last night, uh, your friend Ron Kobe. And at one point, he, he actually criticizes Dershowitz. He has represented terrorists, sheiks, the worst people God ever created. And he goes... How could Dershowitz ever represent Trump? Really, Ron? That's your boy. By the way, um, you forget, he testified on behalf of John Gotti Jr. against me in court. Well, I hate to say it, you deserve that. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, why don't you go have a slice of pizza at Aldo's, your favorite pizzeria there, right? Will you stop I might that. get you indicted also. I was there that night on uh, Election Day years and years ago. That was the, the exact pizzeria. But, no, I know he's a bad guy. How can he do that to you? That's terrible. Well, let me give you an update. I always break news. I give you the hors d'oeuvre, and then I give I go for the entree on the rip and read at 12, 12 to 1. All in the Lower East Side. You probably missed it because you and Dershowitz are like two Yentas, uh, two old, <laughs> old Jewish ladies, uh, like washwomen, talking back and forth. Did you see flyers up on the polls? It had nothing to do with uh, bring the hostages back from Israel uh, to Israel. Yeah, there are posters all over the Lower East Side, pictures of cops, in which they're claiming that cops from the Ninth Precinct are holding hostage homeless people and others who live in the Lower East Side. And you know when you're able to take your cell phone and you're able to put it uh, against a flyer and get uh, all the information yeah. about a restaurant? They have that. The barcode. The barcode. That's right, the barcode. So you can learn all about the background of these cops. Any um, accusations that have been made against them of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, they want to drive these cops right out of the ninth no Precinct. No way. Is that true? I'm breaking news for you. That's horrible. By the way, I dealt with the ninth precinct when you and I 
and thank you for this, yes. did our rally on that rainy Sunday outside of Cooper Union by NYU, which, of course, that's where the theater is, and they didn't want to let us use our sound system. So I made a call right to Eddie Caban, and he fixed it in about 15 seconds, which was great. But th- that's that precinct right there by NYU in that area. Yeah, right? remember, nine. I was locked up uh, one night, got into a battle with drug dealers there when I lived on St. Mark's and Avenue A. And as they were letting me out, Carlos Santana was being brought in because they had had a fight in his uh, uh, Lower East Side. It basically, it turned it into a duplex there. And they dragged Carlos Santana, like all of his uh, followers, That's into so the cool. jail, saying, uh, jail cell next to me. Did you take a picture with him? What do you mean? This is back before there were cell phones. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I thought it was so cool. The, the first time I went to rehab in Warnersville, Pennsylvania, I came in when Steven Tyler was leaving. And yep. people said, well, Sid, there's nothing glamorous about going to rehab. And you're right, I guess. Now, isn't but it interesting? Steven Tyler was there. Steven Tyler went to Yon- uh, grew up in Yonkers, went to high school, Roosevelt. You know what they kicked him out for in his senior year? What? Smoking marijuana. Now he would get a graduate degree. <laughs> right? They would say, oh, you, you, you want to major in cannabis yeah. cultivation? Well, it's funny you Horticulture? say that. Horticulture? Things have changed so much. And here we were walking around this neighborhood last night, Danielle and I, East yeah. Village, NYU. I mean, those are the dorms right there. And not that long ago, NYU was considered one of the great universities in the country. Maybe it still is. I don't know. But a couple of feet away from where all these crazy pro-Palestinians, A, reside, B, march. Another one yesterday, Brian Park, walking around Midtown. You tell me this. You tell me. I know for a fact. I heard the news reports. Once again, they went after the cops. Once again, they attacked the guy holding an Israeli flag. Yet. Not one arrest. Not at one arrest. How does that happen? No, Curtis? no. The policy of your friend Eric Adams is no arrests of these demonstrators. And by the way, is that his? Is that his policy? Absolutely. Yeah. My Look, they, they desecrated another police car. They busted the windows. I saw out. that. Yes. They they put on uh, Hamas forever on the police car. Oh, no problem. We'll just get it repainted at taxpayers' expense. No arrests. And by the way, NYU. It graduated Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, who is Frank <laughs> Hamas Morano. That's what they teach them in NYU. Uh, and remember, yeah, yeah. I don't know how many decades ago that uh, Frank Morano, his parents put him through NYU when it was 55 G's a year. Now it's like $155,000 a year to learn how to hate America, hate Israel, and hate Jews. By the way, let me give uh, a outstanding thumbs up to Tom Sullivan, who you interviewed uh, First in war, first in peace, the Solomon Brothers, well, Michael. That, all kidding aside, was that not a great conversation? Yes, but I'm going door-to-door for Tom Sullivan. I am making it my mission next year to oust Stacy Fififo from Amato, <laughs> yeah. who's there only because her mother, who is the county clerk in Queens, that crook that she is, fixed that election. I know personally she fixed that election. So to all the supporters of the Sullivans out there, which there are many, uh, I will go out there and go door to door. And by the way, the only thing that Stacy Fee Five Four Farm Amato has ever done as assemblywoman, she has it on her website. She sponsored a paper shredding at St. Camilla's Church <laughs> in the Rockways. I think uh, Eric Adams was out there shredding his paper paperwork when he came well, back from D.C. I got bad news for you. you. Keep telling me I can't contact my my friend, the mayor. He's yeah. my friend. 
uh, Eric Adams because now he's only on burner phones. Burner phones, yes. But I did hear from Eric on his regular phone yesterday. Oh, he finally revived that. No, that's not, I made it up. It's not true. Uh, of course <laughs> not. He's got two burner phones, shit. He doesn't have a regular phone. I can no, text no. him right Look, now. Like drug dealers, like mob guys, like guys trying to avoid uh, their wives knowing that they have gomadas. He has the Motorola burner phones. Somebody asked me yesterday, they said, um, if Eric is innocent, and I, and I maintain that he is, far as I know, even some of his biggest detractors, even Rudy Giuliani, has said it doesn't look to me like he's broken any laws. Even Rudy said that. So I maintain he's innocent until I find out he's not. But somebody asked me yesterday, they said, is Curtis kidding or is he serious when he says he really believes Eric Adams will go to jail for this? And I said, no, I I think he's serious. You yeah. never know if it's stick or not. No, no, but... it's not stick, and it's because of the other Eric, your friend Eric Ulrich. Will you leave him alone? Who's been wired up any, like a Christmas tree. anybody money. Excuse me, excuse me. No. Did anybody, when I announced on your show, did anybody claim that I was lying when I said that the FBI, yes. forever yes. busting yes. Italians? Yes, there are many people that contacted me and still do. Even right now, they're yep. going to yep. that claim you're lying. Uh, really? Yes. Uh, did they get letters from the FBI? Don't you worry about uh, from who the they Department get of Justice. From. They get letters which, from their, their, their cousins and their no, kids. No, no. And... The Department of Justice must, in every matter, inform people when they've been listening to their conversations <laughs> And they sent out a specific letter. Yeah. Uh, we were listening to your conversations with Eric Ulrich. By the way, Sid, did you get that? Uh, did you get no, that? No, I, I don't. I don't talk to Eric Ulrich. Are I you bump, sure? I bump into him on the street once in a while by the Cross Bay Diner, and that's that's the extent of it. Uh, start coughing. I don't call him. Uh, when when he rolls up on you and you talk, cough into your your suit lapel. <laughs> He's wired up like a Christmas tree. He's going to take down Eric Adams. Don't you realize that? No, he's not. Oh, yes. Oh, so you're telling me that Eric uh, is innocent then of all these these uh, fraud that taking the money from the Turkish government, that it's going to be Eric Ulrich that takes down By Adams. By the way, the night that you saw Eric Adams after he had come back from Washington and went into his bunker, yeah. you ordered turkey, am I right or wrong, with all the mockers, all the 40,000 uh, important rabbis in New York City led by Joe Potashnik. Am I right? You can't make this up. I go to this uh, beautiful dinner at the Pierre Hotel. In fact, uh, John and Margot had a wonderful table. I sat with them. And we had uh, Arthur Idala, your friend, and Paul Carlucci, your friend, and Keith Kantrowitz was honored that night, and the Reverend A.R. Bernard. I met the Cardinal Dolan. That was wonderful. And yes, in all seriousness, I walked in exactly when Eric walked in, and I had turkey for dinner. Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> I'm, sure he, I, I'm sure he loved that. By the way, do you consider yourself a fair-weather friend? Because you remain loyal to Eric Ulrich, yeah. even though he's wired up like a Christmas tree. Please, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. I remain loyal to you. Yes, he's you have. been arrested more times than anybody I exactly. know. Exactly. one. what about your very dear friend, your own daughter, beautiful daughter, stayed with her in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Nancy Mace. The former Speaker of the House, McCarthy from Bakersfield, declared war on Nancy Mace, said she does not deserve to be reelected, what will you be doing? 6.17 a.m. this morning. Tough yes. nuts. Yes. Look at the name, Nancy Mace. Yes. I miss you. Can I call in next week? Yes. 100% Nancy, miss you too. Will you, Six... go, down, will you go down and campaign for her and she's going to get primary? I don't have time for this. No, say I'm running a big time show did, here. I can't go to South Carolina. Did, did, she host, did she host your daughter down in Charleston, she, South she, Carolina? She took her to a steakhouse. What yes. a fair weather friend you are. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I don't have time You're going to side with a guy from Bakersfield, the <laughs> Dust Bowl? Fine, I'll go for one day. Will that make you happy? 
Yes, but do you realize, because we're talking everything is Jewish now because of this war in the Middle East, do you know that Charleston, South Carolina, had a black Jewish police commissioner, Reuben Greenberg. Is that true? Yes. A black Jewish police commissioner, Reuben Greenberg. His father was an Ashkenazi. His mother was an African-American. He went to shul on Saturdays. Come on. He davened. Check it out. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's no longer alive. He was a very dear friend of mine in San Francisco when I started the Guardian Angels there. And he was the sheriff of San Francisco County, recruited to become the black Jewish police commissioner in Charleston, South Carolina. They love Jews there. You better go there. And you better back Nancy Mace. And don't be a fair-weathered friend, Sid Rosenberg, against McCarthy from Bakersfield, the Dust Bowl. Informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Disagree. Uh, this isn't Bruce Springsteen's song. This is his version. War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Who did this first? It wasn't Gary U.S. Bonds. Who was it? I forget. I think Edwin Starr. Yes, Edwin Starr. Very good. Yes, very good. Uh, war is a necessity every now and then. Now, we've had a couple that the public opinion went against. Vietnam, certainly. Iraq, Afghanistan, certainly. But... Um, we had to get involved in World War II, obviously, and then others. And Israel right now is involved in a war. They've got no choice. Bibi Netanyahu actually um, gave me an erection yesterday. Interesting way to put it, I guess. You're not going to get that with Joe and Mika, are you? One of those hero erections. Yes, probably. it's a hero erection. Yes. He was on right. Fox News, and he said, uh, maybe a pause, no ceasefire. It's my boy Bibi, cut number, uh, number three here, Lewis. One thing we haven't agreed to is a ceasefire. A ceasefire with Hamas means surrender to Hamas, surrender to terror, and the victory of the uh, Iran's axis of terror. So there won't be a ceasefire no. without the release of the Israeli hostages. That's not going to happen. God, I love him. He has a big role in the documentary with Alan Dershowitz, too. And I've talked about this sporadically throughout the morning, along with celebrating Veterans Day on this show. Today, we will celebrate it as a nation and a city tomorrow. This Alan Dershowitz documentary, the Alan Dershowitz trials, was unbelievable. And I have to tell you, and I told Adam this right to his face, I was tired late last night. 
I did not have, I did not have, um, how do I say this nicely? I, uh, I don't think it was going to be great. <laughs> and it was great. It was great. And I told you about all the stories that he covered along the way, but a lot of time in Israel and lots of appearances, especially towards the end of the doc, by Bibi Netanyahu, he really was terrific. Go see that, folks, if you have a chance. It's playing in the East Village now. The Alan Dershowitz Trials. You're going to love it. Happy birthday. 248 years old. 248 to the Marine Corps. Happy 248 to the Marines. And just in case you guys are keeping score, Veterans Day we now celebrate over the past 85 years. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Thank you, Sid, so much for all of your support. It means so much to us here. We feel that we're, we feel our support from there, from from the states here to Israel. Hello, Hi, my name is Yossi Antipolsky. I'm Moshe Epstein. And uh, we're in Miduim here in Israel, and we just want to say how much it means to us that you're using your platform to support Israel and support the soldiers and everything that we do here, and especially during the times when, you know, where we get so much uh, negativity from all sides, it makes a really big difference. So thank you so much from all of us. Thank you so much. It was amazing. Thank you, Sid, of all the good we... we All the good you do for us. All the the good you do for us. Thank you very much. I love you, Sid. So that was in the open this morning, which we put together at 6 a.m. every morning. Justin Ellick does a great job with that. That was part of it. And what that is, is I've got a buddy who's been on the show a couple of times. His name is Judah Honigman, and he lives in a little town just outside of Jerusalem. And he was making a barbecue yesterday. He's very tight with all the soldiers, the IDF guys in Israel. He lives there. He was making a barbecue yesterday, and, you know, just like uh, you would do here, hot dogs and hamburgers and beer, all that good stuff. And then unprovoked, the soldiers brought me up. They said, uh, listen, next time you're on with Sid up in New York, tell him we said hello. This is true. And he said, why don't you say hello right now? And he made these little videos on his cell phone, which he WhatsApped me, and those are legitimate Israeli soldiers. You can go to my Instagram page. You should go anyway. Follow me today at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney. That's my Instagram, Sid Rosenberg Facebook. And you can see this short in length, somewhere between 10 and 60 seconds, four different videos. These Israeli soldiers dressed in their uniforms, one with a big gun, I think an AK-47, thanking me for the support, the unwavering support, that I do deliver to Israel every day on this show. I don't, I don't, uh, I even get my daughter upset once in a while, but that's just the way it's going to be. So I was very emotional about that last night, and I want to thank them while they're thanking me. So we've already had uh, Tom Sullivan on the show. That was a great conversation. Tom served in Iraq, Afghanistan, Kuwait, saved lives on 9-11. He'll run for, uh, run for a third time in Queens for office coming up next year. Mark Healy, you know who that is, Lewis? 
Okay, no, I, I don't. He was a sports guy. He actually now is the editor in charge of the Wave in oh, Rockaway. Mark Healy. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Yeah, Mark Healy said he loved that conversation with Tom Sullivan. Healy's a terrific guy, and that's a nice paper. I get actually, I subscribe to it twice every Friday for the Rosenberg family and Sid Rosenberg. Yeah, and Mark is a great guy. He's a great is. guy. So um, he loved it. Then we talked to Curtis, but my next guest served as a paratrooper, special forces in active duty in Israel from 1995 through 1997. He fought in Lebanon and was nearly killed. Then he served as a reservist from 2003 through 2020. He was born in Israel to Russian immigrants. Then they moved to Wayne, New Jersey when he was eight. He went back to Israel to serve at 18. After the Army, he came to New York and studied at Yeshiva University, which is where we met and became close friends. This is him talking to uh, Noam. He then went to Cardoza Law School, where he met his wife and got married. They moved back to Israel, made Aliyah, which you do when you return as a citizen, in 2003. He's a longtime radio show host and podcaster. There you go. He's currently the international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron, a small community of about 500 families within a larger Arab city. Hamas control, by the way. 200,000. He's on the emergency first response security team there. His name is Yishai Fleischer. And I'm honored to have him on as we celebrate Veterans Day in the United States today and tomorrow. Mr. Fleischer, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sid. Uh, God bless you. And uh, God bless the memory of all those who fell in protecting the United States. Well, that's uh, beautiful. Thank you for uh, saying that, uh, me and all those wonderful people. And you're one of them. Thank God you're with us today. But you suddenly put your life on the line, nearly killed in in, uh, in Lebanon. Where are you calling me from this morning? Are you here or back in Israel? Uh, I live in Israel, and I'm calling you from Israel. I'm calling you from the area of Israel that has been known for thousands of years as Judea. Uh, this is south of Jerusalem, about 30 minutes south of Jerusalem and uh, the beautiful town of Ephrat, which is within this area of Judea. And I'm heading south today to Hebron in order to celebrate the, uh, the Bible portion that we read today, which is all about the first purchase of Abraham in the land of Israel, specifically in Hebron, a place that would become the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, the tomb of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. So, we're celebrating there today. That's that's a big and important Sabbath for us uh, this uh, this weekend. That's right. You're always ahead of us there. So you're about to celebrate Shabbat uh, coming up uh, shortly, and that's going to be the Torah reading, which is fantastic. I will be at uh, two different shuls next weekend, Friday in my neighborhood uh, for Shabbat dinner, and Saturday I've been invited by Dove Hyken to join him at his shul in Cedarhurst. So I'll tell you what Hamas did for me, Mr. Fleischer. I did not go to shul on a regular basis wasn't even a member of a shul. And I go to shul on the high holy days, and believe me when I tell you, I'm very proud of my heritage, very. I'll fight you in the streets. I will. But now what Hamas has done, it's brought the real Jew out in me to the point I'm going to go to two different shuls next weekend. That's how strongly I feel now about people like you, Mr. Fleischer, and my Jewish brethren. That's what they did to me. They didn't make me weaker. They made me stronger. Well, that's good news, and and uh, you are amongst a lot of people here in Israel that have taken upon themselves more Judaism, more outward signs of Judaism, 
Um, and um, that's in contradistinction to exactly what Hamas has wanted to achieve. They've wanted to cause depression, economic depression, uh, depression of, of, of mothers thinking about their children either killed or abducted, and just a nation that like is in a little bit of mourning, and there is an aspect of that. There's unquestionably an aspect of that. But then there's the battle side of the Jewish people, which is, have, has been awakened, and we're out there fighting with our army in Gaza. We're, in a, we're, we're ready to fight in Judea and Samaria or in Lebanon or in any other place. And we're going to stake our, our – we're going to put down our stake and make sure the line is drawn and that the Jewish state is not going to be, uh, once again, a surprise like this. And so, so the fight is on. And, uh, and a lot of times for the Jewish people, it's through these um, great challenges, these cataclysms, that we reawaken and, and we have become closer to God, to our identity, to ourselves, to our brothers and sisters. Uh, and, um, and, 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 and that's what's going to surprise uh, the Hamas and the Jihad and the haters, that, that we are not going down. We're going up through this. It's an amazing place, Ishai, where you are this morning, Israel. It's just an unbelievable country. It's one real democracy in the Middle East, and everybody hates you, basically. Yet, when you look at the contribution... Israel has made around the world, and I'm talking, Yishai, not just intelligence, because everybody knows man for man, you've got the best army in the world. You blow us away. Not just that, but technology, medicine, a little country nestled away, hated by every just about every neighbor. And what you guys have done over the years is remarkable. But it is Veterans Day here, and you've got a big Sabbath reading tonight. Let's concentrate on just the military aspect. Why are you guys so good? Why are you guys so good with that? Sid, let, let, me, let me make one correction, though. Everything you said is right, but I want to make one correction. Truth is, is that there's a lot of people around the world that love Israel. If it's the Muslims of Azerbaijan, if it's the Muslims of northern Iraq, Kurdistan, if it's the, the Hindus in India, and many other people, and certainly millions and millions of lovers of Israel in the United States, uh, from New York to Texas. I've been everywhere, and everywhere I go, uh, from synagogues to churches to other kinds of places, folks are with us. Folks are with us. Anybody who is an NRA member is with us, okay? There's many other folks that are with us out there. Folks, I'll t- I'll, but I'll tell, you why, I'll, I'll tell you why I say that to you. It's because you're right. No, you're right. And I always uh, tell my wife, Danielle, she gets very despondent, very upset. I go, listen, we are still loved. Still Jewish. But if you're in New York right now, you shy, but you're not. Right. And you saw it not, not once a week, not once a month, every day. Every day there are pro-Palestinian rallies. Now, I led a pro-Israel rally with Curtis Sliwa two weeks ago in front of NYU. It was a rainy day. We had about 30 people. These pro-Palestine rallies, they've got 4,000, 5,000, 7,000. They're taking over our bridges. They're taking over our streets. So maybe I come from a place here in New York where you just don't feel it because they're out there in big numbers, my friend. Well, those folks are not just anti-Israel. Their anti-Israelism is a way to actually pronounce their anti-Americanism. They want to take down America, the America that you know. They want to take down New York that you know, that, that, that amazing city that is also in large measure a, a Jewish city. They want to destroy all that. They want to destroy that so that they can take over America, so that they can destroy Israel by detaching it from its natural allies. And they mean business, those guys. And, and so that's not just about defense of Israel. Everybody's got to wake up to that. You're right about that. Want to take away, yep. They want to yep. take away your Ivy League yep. schools, which means they want to take away your next generation. Uh, 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 TikTok is going to show them pro-Hamas, 
crap and they're going to eat it up and they want to take away the next generation of Americans and turn it into either a China or the next Hamastan or whatever it is. And, 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 and everybody out there has to uh, wake up and, uh, and understand it. And that's why people like, like, like yourself and Curtis Lee are out there in the streets. But people are asleep. They don't understand what this is all about. This is a civilizational battle, civilizational battle. They, wanna, they want to uh, uh, force their civilization upon us and subdue us. That's what Islam means. It's subduing. This is you know, a radical form of Islam, a jihadism. I'm not saying every Muslim is like that, not at all. But... We have to be real. Those folks that are calling for the destruction of Israel, which is what Palestine is, it's not for two-state solution. It's for the destruction of Israel. That's why they're rallying right now, not to save Palestinian lives, but to make sure that Hamas continues to be successful so that it can continue its job to destroy Israel altogether. Those folks are coming for Israel, and then they want to, they want to break what Israel stands for. The next target is the United States. I mean, the truth is that's what September 11th was. Yeah. Okay, But we, we haven't woken up to it fully. We don't exactly understand what's going on, but these guys are serious. And that's why I have to tell you, before I answer you why Israel's good in the military, why we're smart in intelligence, I don't want to go there. I think we actually have to go to a defensive posture right now. We have to, we have to be serious. We have to take our enemies seriously and not gloat over our successes. We have to be like, hey, there's a serious takeover that's trying, that, that, that they're trying to effectuate. We've got to get out there and block them seriously. So what you told me about, about you and Curtis Lee being with 30 folks, that's not right. We've got to fix that. We've got to get everybody like, to understand this is not a time to play games and pat each other on the back and tell ourselves how good we are. Forget that. We've got to realize how serious this attack is. We've got to get out there and fight it, uh, or else they're going to take over, because they are not joking around. And that's, that's part of the problem. I'm not going to tell you now that Israeli intelligence is great, because we failed. We failed because we took them not seriously. And it's time to take this attack seriously and to get out there and push back. My God, I see why you're a radio host and a podcast host. I mean, I, I may have to hang up on you before you take my job. <laughs> you're that good. And you're, you're right. You're doing a great job, Sid. Nobody's going to take your job. You're out there. You're, 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 you. you're, you're t- telling the truth, and people are listening to you, and you're an important thank platform. You. So keep well, it up. thank you. But, but you made a great point, too, which is this is not just a Jewish issue. It's an American issue. I do want to, about four more minutes to go. I, I can't hang up because I love you. Uh, tell me, um, on a personal note, that time in Lebanon, where you were nearly killed, uh, what were you doing there? I remember the IDF, obviously. What year was that, and what were the specifics that day? 1995, I was in the paratroopers, and uh, we, we had a security belt in southern Lebanon that protected from exactly the kind of rockets that today Hamas, excuse me, Hezbollah has uh, trained at Israel. <clears throat> excuse me. We had a situation there where we didn't want the Hezbollah to take over and have these rockets. So we had the security belt. And one day we identified some um, um, roadside bombs. And these roadside bombs were meant for to blow us up. So we brought in the anti-bomb unit, the uh, uh, sappers. And these guys, the way that they were working, first thing that they did was they took a, a Barrett big uh, 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 long gun, and they were shooting at this thing so that they would blow up the bomb before they even had to approach it. And when they shot at one of those bombs, it turns out that that bomb was tied into yet another bomb that was much closer to me. Mm. And then suddenly, uh, as they shot that shot, I suddenly um, uh, felt myself on the floor. I didn't know what happened. <clears throat> I felt the pain <clears throat> under my shoulder. And I reached down and I saw there was blood there. And it turned out that a ball bearing had exploded out of that roadside bomb, shot into my 
uh, uh, broke my scapula. And w- if it would have come a little bit more, it would have uh, broken through and gone to my lungs and to, or to my heart. Oh, thank God it got jammed in that oh, in the scapula. Mm. And uh, okay, thank God they they removed the ball bearing, and and I'm here to tell the tale. Nice. Uh, but that was Hezbollah in 1995. Today they're not using roadside bombs. They have super accurate you know missiles, 150,000 of them. And I think that it behooves the, the state of Israel to not wait any longer and to make sure that that threat on our northern border is eliminated. Israel is a post-Holocaust, never-again country. We should not allow our enemies to arm themselves and prepare themselves to attack us, because they will, because they will. Well, and let me ask we you this. Sure. I, I, I only have about 60 seconds to go. Again, this is Yeshai Fleischer. What a special person you are. Uh, I agree with you about Lebanon and Hezbollah in the north, but from a tactical standpoint, with 60 seconds to go, you can give me two answers. A, are you okay with these daily humanitarian pauses, which I think is ridiculous, just go in there and wipe them out, but that's me. And secondly, does Israel have enough to get this done on two fronts, the north and the south? If the jihad continues to broadcast and teach and operate within our country at the end of this war, we would have lost. We have to uh, uh, dismantle them uh, in Gaza and in the north and in, and in Judea and Samaria, and anywhere they teach the hate of Israel. So therefore, the answer is no humanitarian pauses. Get rid of the bad guys. That'll be the most humanitarian thing of them all for everybody, for, for the Arabs and for the world and for us. That's number one. With regarding to a two-front war, hey, that's what happens when you allow your enemies to arm themselves uh, to the teeth then you have to fight tough battles. Okay, don't make those mistakes from the get-go. Don't let the enemies arm themselves, and, and okay, then, then, then you'll be in better shape. Now we have to clean up, and if we don't clean up, Sid, we'll just roll it down to our children to have to deal with it. So it's either now or our kids will deal with it down the line because these rockets are going to go off if we don't destroy them first. Will you please come back again soon? God bless you, Sid, of course. And I wish you a Shabbat Shalom from the good land, from the holy land. I wish you the same. Thank you for uh, all you've done uh, for Israel. And right now, your voice in the United States, I have to tell you, Yishai, uh, it means a lot to a lot of New Yorkers. So God bless you, and you stay safe and be well, and good Shabbos. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. God bless you, Sid. And God bless all the veterans as well. God bless you. What a terrific job. My God, was he good. Wow, was that unbelievable. What a show today. Tom Sullivan, Curtis Sliwa. And uh, this uh, this gentleman right here, Yishai Fleischer, just unbelievable. Thank you for that. A lot more to do. We're going to talk to Frank Siller, John Katsimatidis. We'll talk about Vietnam with the very decorated Colonel Jack Jacobs. Thomas Kniff, Daniel Penny's attorney. He served in Iraq and will end up with the great Lee Greenwood. Happy Veterans Day, folks. Hour 3 coming up.
Welcome back, folks. Happy Veterans Day. The country will celebrate tomorrow, but we're celebrating today. We've had an amazing show. Tom Sullivan, Queens Republican candidate, served in Kuwait, Afghanistan, Iraq, Curtis Sliwa, and uh, most recently, Yishai Fleischer, an IDF Israeli soldier. We have two great men on the phone right now. You know this whole day is brought to you by my dear friend Frank Siller and Tunnel to Towers, and I do an awful lot. In fact, I think i got to do more than anybody else in the country for this. When you consider every Wednesday is the Tunnel to Towers Wednesday, every Friday, First Responders Friday, all the uh, promos you hear this morning are voiced by me, and I do all of it with an enormous amount of honor and heart because I love Frank Siller, and I say this all the time, and I've got my own charity. There is no charity in this country better and more important, especially to the veterans from paying off mortgages to smart homes, than Tunnel to Towers. Frank Siddle lost his brother Stephen on 9-11. This man has become, I guess always was, a saint. And the man that owns this station, who puts on a great show every day at 5 o'clock, Katz and Cosby, and a tremendous show Sunday mornings at 8, Katz Roundtable, there is nobody more charitable than him, whether it's veterans or police. He cares about everybody, and that's John Katz and so right now on Sitting Friends in the Morning, we've got two great men, Frank Siller, the CEO of Tunnel to Towers, and John. I want to start with John before I get to Frank. John, you put these days together all the time, whether we honor ethnic groups or the police, a whole bunch of people. And with Veterans Day coming up tomorrow, I know, John Katzenmatidis, that you are thrilled that Frank Siller and Tunnel to Towers is paying such a major part playing such a major part in our programming today, yes? Well, when we, when we knew Veterans Day was coming uh, uh, this weekend, uh, it's on Saturdays, and we're going to be celebrating Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, we wanted the, There's no better organization for veterans to recognize than Tunnels to Tower. Uh, they do so much, and, and they help uh, veterans so much. There was no... There was nobody in second place. I mean, we said we have to do Tunnels to Tower, uh, collect as much as we can collect uh, through WABC uh, uh, website and through our uh, listeners and, and whatever we're, else we're giving ourselves. And uh, there was nobody in second place. There were, uh, you know, Frank Siller and, and, and uh, Tunnels to Tower had first, second, and third place at the same time. I agree with you. And uh, today, John, I know you know this. We're going to join by Frank here momentarily. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation calls on Fortune 500 companies and professional sports teams like my teams. Where are you? The Giants, the Knicks, the Mets, the Rangers. Pledge support for the homeless veteran program. This is a um, a piece of um, of news that's going to go out today. First of all, Frank Siller, thank you for all you do for New York, for this country for the veterans, for the cops, uh, the work that you do. I know you're a humble guy, Frank, but today, listen, stick your chest out, man. You do incredible, incredible work. And I know you're calling on other people to help you again today. So, A, congratulations, and B, tell us about this latest effort. Well, thanks for having me on, uh, Sid and John. Always thank you for your generosity. Look, we're we're blessed that uh, we so many of our listeners – and so many of our uh, donors are, you know, love America. <laughs> That's it. You know, when they love America, they come uh, to support uh, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. I'll say this. I was in Houston uh, yesterday, and uh, we uh, 
we uh, opened up our first uh, village for uh, homeless uh, veterans. Um, it's going to house. It was a hotel that we revamped into. A, it was 161 rooms. Uh, for many of it, it's going to be permanent housing for these homeless veterans, and we're doing this all over the United States. So this year alone, this year alone, we delivered 3,000. Uh, we took 3,000 uh, homeless veterans off the streets, and we also get them the wraparound services that they need. So ju- just listen to. We just don't put a roof over their head. I want you to listen to some of the things that we do, because we know we they they all have. Uh, problems and and we want to make sure that you know they can assimilate back into society employment assistance job training benefit assistance education assistance financial budget management legal advocacy medical care access so i don't know how to get the medical care mental health and support counseling of course for ptsd and of course you know a lot of it is drug addiction because of the ps ptsd etc and we're gonna we get them all that kind of help besides getting them off the street into their own place. Gorgeous. Uh, you know, not uh, not just John and Margot, Frank, but uh, our president here, Chad Lopez, and we celebrate him today. My man, after the Gulf War between 92 and 96, uh, served time in the Navy on a ship and uh, saw the world, basically, from Saudi Arabia to Japan, you name it. And I know, Chad, you've got a heartfelt message for Frank Siller and Tunnel to Towers as well. Yes, yes. Uh, Frank, John, Margot, thank you. Thank you for all your support and everything you do. These days mean a lot, and it really, really is an impact for veterans. I have, uh, obviously, I'm a veteran, and I have a lot of friends who are veterans, and some, believe it or not, that are still in. Um, they know, and, they, and, and they're just proud. And, and I've gotten texts and stuff saying how great this is, and thank you for the work that all three of you do for veterans. Well, th- th- thank you, uh, thank you, Chad. And hey, listen, even though we we did the homeless veterans uh, today, you know, this right. weekend we rolled it out for, for for Veterans Day. I want everyone to know that you know that we'll continue to do what we do for catastrophically injured service members, gold star widows, and fallen first responders, uh, widows that have their loved ones die in the line of duty that leave young kids behind. And to prove we're doing it, we delivered fifty mortgage-free homes. Today. All right. Wow. Look at that. Awesome. 20, 26 different states. So, wow. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interviews like this. It's uh, WABC uh, radio and uh, John and Margot and Chad and, you know, uh, you guys are just, uh, you, you're just uh, great supporters. And I can't thank you enough to get the message out there because there's a lot of work. We have a lot of work ahead of us. You do. And, uh, you know, I was uh, struck, too, at the uh, beautiful gala this year that uh, I was at, which I, I really it was honored to be up on stage with Rita, reading the names of some of our fallen soldiers, Frank, and uh, their, their widows and folks I met uh, in the audience that night. But I've seen John and Margot honored for a lot of stuff. And I've seen you, John, win a lot of awards, a lot in the last couple of years. I really feel like that night, this year's gala, the Tunnel to Towers, that was one of your shining moments in terms of what you do for veterans and cops in the city. Is, is it fair to say that, John? Well, I, I believe in our veterans. They, they, listen, we would not be sitting here in, in, in the United States, in New York, and, and, and be free uh, if it wasn't for our veterans and for all the sacrifices they, they have given. And uh, uh, we have to, you know, our armed forces are very important to me. By the way, I think today is uh, the Marines' uh, birthday. Yes, it is. 
248 I, years old. I, yeah. I love, I'd love to hear the Marines hymn later, uh, Sid. We'll play it. We'll play it. We'll play it for I, you, John. I, lo- I love that music. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we it, do it, it, just, We're going to sing it later for you. We're going to have Lee Greenwood uh, sing, too, which I know, John, you and Margo love. And he performed that night at that great Tunnel to Towers dinner. But you're right, John Katsimatidis. Today we do celebrate 248 years of the uh, of the Marines. You know, one more thing with you, Frank Siller. Uh, and, again, this is the CEO of Tunnel to Towers. And these guys are doing a tremendous job. Smart homes all across the country, paying off mortgages. So I started doing these uh, first responder Fridays. And I guess, Frank, we're going to start hearing from some of these folks coming up, uh, I believe, next Friday. You know, And yeah. I've met some of these folks. I actually went to a dinner for the DEA, Detective Endowment Agency, not the uh, Drug Enforcement and they honored 12 cops, Frank, that are in wheelchairs, guys that were stabbed in the face, shot in the back. They still got the bad guy, mind you. But they honored those guys that night. And it turned out weeks after that, I spoke to some of these guys as part of our first responder program. And I really come to realize, Frank Siller, that you touched so many hearts. Again, not just the veterans, but first responders and police officers are spoken to widows whose husbands were cops and were gunned down in the line of duty. So I, I think people need to know that Tunnel to Towers really goes above and beyond for all of our heroes. I, want to, I wanted to make that point, Frank. Well, th- thanks, Sid, and it's true. And so a lot of those guys that are catastrophically injured, first responders, we build them uh, smart homes. They're giving back some of their independence like we do uh, for our veterans. And, like, and of course, these... A fallen first responder, widows, that their loved ones were many times just shot because they were cops. Uh, you know, have young families left behind. We pay off their mortgages all across America. Over 200 this year. Over 200 this year alone. Uh, and mortgage payoffs. You know, besides the, you know, building these uh, smart homes for our country's most catastrophically injured service members and first responders. We're busy. We're busy, and that's why we need your your listeners to do go to t2t.org and do $11 a month. I know today you're doing a great fundraiser this weekend for us. Go WABC and, and uh, slash T2T and uh, make your donation. We need it. It's 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 uh, fire department says many hands makes light work. And if we can get uh, you know the uh, millions of Americans to come together, we could take care of all these great heroes that sacrificed their lives for you and I. You, Frank Siller, are a great American and a beautiful human being. My Family and friends often tell me that my dad is looking down, smiling at the work that I do, but I know Stephen, your brother, is looking down and smiling at you. You're just an amazing person. I am thrilled that I've got any relationship with you whatsoever, let alone the really good relationship you and I have. Tunnel to Towers, folks. T, the number 2T.org. T, the number 2T.org. Just $11 a month. Go donate right now. Frank Siller, you're the best. And John Katsimatidis. All this, all this that we do, including this day today, none of it possible without your great leadership. We love you, too. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. God all right. bless you. God, God bless you, too, my man. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll take a short break. We're going to talk to Chad for a couple of minutes. Again, uh, he served right after the Gulf War. Then we'll talk to a very decorated Colonel, Jack Jacobs, about his stay in Vietnam and how the country treated folks like him. When he got back, lots more to do. Once again, thank you to Frank Siller and John Katsimatidis. Happy Veterans Day, and like John said, happy 248th birthday to the Marines. Come on, baby. America kicking ass. Looking straight ahead.
Madison, 77 WABC. WABC Traffic and Transit. Well, as you head out there this morning, there are quite a few problems. First of all, we'll start in New Jersey on the New Jersey Turnpike northbound. On the inner roadway coming up to Interchange 8, there is an accident in the left lane. There's an overturned vehicle involved in it as well, so that might be there for a little while. If you're on the uh, northbound side of or eastbound side of the Bruckner Expressway coming up uh, to Sheridan Boulevard, there is an accident. Two lanes going to be out getting through there. Southern State, westbound, good news at Central Avenue. That earlier accident is out of the way from the Ray Katina Porsche Traffic Desk. Talk Radio 77. WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. I see you doing here. Very good. In the Navy. Very, very good. Well, you like the village people anyway, Louis. Oh, you know he does. <laughs> you know he does. <laughs> well, my next guest, before we get to Colonel Jack Jacobs on Vietnam, did in fact serve in the Navy after the Gulf War, 92 through 96. Really during the Gulf War. Never stopped. It's funny. Google says Gulf War, 90 to 91. What do they consider Afghanistan and Iraq the next 25 years? Right. And that is uh, President uh, Chad Lopez. I'll ask you the same thing I asked my prior two guests mm-hmm. as you get the uh, the salute from uh, Doug, uh, who was a terrific guy in a kiss ass. Um, what what motivated you to uh, to join the Navy? Uh, you know, Sid, first off, before we start, uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for all the veterans this morning. Um, like I said it. before, there's a lot of friends that I have that, uh, you know, have been texting me. We text each other every it starts on Veterans Day and it just goes down and down. Right. Um, the text chain gets you know longer. It, it's it's notice and things like this. When you ask, you know, the, the best thing you could say to a veteran, and everyone knows it, is thanks for your service, right? Because they just want to be appreciated and know that they they are, it's a sacrifice that they go out there and they're standing up for what they believe in, and they come home, and it's really sad what happens when you see on the streets when you know you go into, you walk into someone and they're a veteran and they can't find a job. So I would like to start this by saying, if you see you find a veteran or a resume comes across your desk. Give a veteran a shot. Well, that's it, what happened to you, right? Yes, in yes, this absolutely. Business. Yes, in this business, that's how it happened to me. The only way I got, I was a, on the buying side at an agency for six years. So I bought TV, print, radio, and outdoor, right, as media. And the the only way I got that job is because the woman, and, and she's just recently passed, uh, Catherine Kammer, had given me an opportunity because her dad was prior service. And he said, you know what, Catherine, give a Navy guy a chance. Attention to detail. I like that. And my resume came across her desk, and she said, listen, you have absolutely no idea about what this business is, but I'm going to give you a chance because that's what my dad says. Give, give a Navy guy a chance. And we'll get to that because of what the Navy provided you in terms of leadership ability, which this man saw, by the way. But you're a smart guy, and you weren't a very good student. I know that. Right. <laughs> and I had my years, too. I'm a smart guy. I was a very good student. Right. I had my own reasons. You had your reasons. Right. But that was part of the reason why you decided to join the Navy, right? Yes, yes. I, I I joined because um, my, you know, my mother said, "Listen, first off, you you have to learn. You got to get focused. You got to do. You know, I was in uh, college for my first two years in architecture program. It wasn't really something that I shouldn't should not have been there. Um, and my cousin had went into into the Navy, came to a family reunion. I see him, and and every everyone's like, look, 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 Kurt. He's look, look how great he looks, you know. And <laughs> yeah. and uh, little did I know. And I will I will say this. I always say to John, you know, the best salespeople I think are recruiters." Because you go down there, you go to the recruiting office back then, you know, they used all the tactics. Uh, 
and you you walk in and all of a sudden you're like, I can't wait to join. I'm in yeah, four yeah, years. I don't know yeah. if I'm going to come back, but yeah. I'm in. Let I'm me in. go. Where, yeah. where do we go? Right. So your family so, basically yeah. did that as an intervention with yes. your cousin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so we and then, and I walked down it. Yes. That's awesome. That was it. And then you get to the Navy and um, you were uh, for me at least detailing some of the places you've been. You have literally been around the world. Yes, around the world twice on two two aircraft carriers, the USS Independence and the last one was the USS Carl Vinson. Wow. I was attached to F-18 Strike Fighter Squadron, VFA-113. Um, and the, the pilots, great pilots. I was a swimmer. I was, I, I did a lot for, um, you know, it doesn't matter the job that you have in the service because everyone's job's important. Because when you think about a ship, right, the guy replacing the toilet paper yeah. is Equally as important as the captain. And there's a lot the of uh, bacteria and infections. Exactly. On those boats, it, all kidding it, it's aside. It's so funny you bring that up because that was the thing. They said, doesn't matter what you do on, on the, on the, because this could affect if the ship is ready, battle ready, and healthy and focused. Wow. So everybody there had to make sure that they were doing uh, their job and doing it the right way and being honest about what and they were doing. And that's how, and you were in Japan and Saudi yes. Arabia. And that's how you lead now. So you, you take what you learned in the Navy, where everybody's job mattered, right? From mm-hmm. the guy, like you said, replacing toilet paper to the, the number one guy uh, in the Navy. And here I find, whether it's the social media department, the marketing department, the sales department, or talent, with a guy like me, you do, and I'm being serious, you do treat everybody with a major sense of importance, <laughs> Which is important for the A, for the morale of your work staff, but B, does build a better company. So the Navy taught you how to be the great young leader you are today. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And you know, the best skill I have with you, what I learned in the Navy, is you have to give your top talent, because they're going to be the most difficult, a little bit more time than the regular talent. And you also have to know that they're going to be a lot more passionate. And emotional. Yeah. So I'm here for you, sir. We've had I mean, you and I, yeah. <laughs> now that I think about all the things you did on that ship, to actually start with you in the first place, I must be nuts. <laughs> what, are you no, kidding me? You you're know, a destroyer. Yeah, thank you're you. You're a Th- tough kid. Thank but, you. But you did. You, you do take those things you learn there, and you, you do um, use it here. Yeah. And it works. Thank it you. works. Thank you. I, I hope it does. I, I, I this, uh, this has been a great experience, building, you know, bringing the call letters back with John, Margot, you, all the talent. Everybody here is part of that. Uh we're a team. And, but you had the most difficult job because, let's face it, John and Margo came and they've, they've done a tremendous job. But I was there that day when PLJ went away and, and Nash went away and eventually the Urban Station went away. And it was just me and Bernie walking around the halls going, oh, my God, we're going to be next. And you <laughs> promised us that you were going to make sure that the ship, Mr. Navy guy, the ship was not going to sink. You kept the boat on the water, and that allowed John and Margo to make it a beautiful Norwegian cruise line again. Yeah, that's right. That's because I knew who, who was buying it. That's why. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, you know, you know me. So it's interesting that you say it because for the, the traveling around the world, Hong Kong, like I said, Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand, it, or around the world twice, right, on a ship. It, it's an experience. But you know what I got out of that experience? It was really being able to meet all different people from all walks of life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whether they were in the military or what the, the port we were pulling into. And you get to learn about people. But there's one thing that I admire and I, and I, and I cherish about the Navy is that it taught me is you have to be proud of your country and stand up for what you believe in. Well, you and that's, are. and, and everybody yeah. that was on that ship felt that way. 
felt that way. Well, just a quick note before we wrap it up and get to Jack Jacobs. You took a little time off uh, this summer for the first time, like since I've known you in seven years, <laughs> and you took a bike across the country. Yeah. And you came back and you texted me that first morning, and I said, "How'd it go, bud?" Yeah. And he said it went great. You said. America is still great. Yeah, it's alive and beautiful. You did say that, um, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it's, it's, so you got the feeling from meeting people across the country that there's still, despite you could argue about Biden and how people feel about the country, you still feel like we're still a very proud country. A hundred percent. I think it depends on where you go. There's still people that there's, there's still respect, morals, belief, right, and hard work, work ethic. It's still out there. Right. I just think that a lot of the times we get involved in what's going on because it's it, and we forget that. So we forget that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and I believe that's going on in the military today. And I want to thank all my Navy buddies and um, and or, and who's currently serving because it means a lot what they're doing. Well, it means a lot that uh, you joined us this morning. You are legitimately, legitimately a hero <laughs> thank and you. Uh, and a great boss. And you do a great job here. But. Uh, you can tell that there were some great yeah. qualities instilled from the service. So thank you. For Just remember that today. the next time we get into an argument. All I'll right, forget it about in two seconds. <laughs> yell at you and uh, <laughs> you up against the wall right, and kick right. my head. Isn't, isn't that right? <laughs> I can't imagine that ever happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I do forget very quickly, Chad. I'll try to remember next time. I love Lou, you. Lou, we, should, we should put the next fight up on uh, WABC Radio and, and have everybody go behind the scenes. Well, let me just say this. <laughs> for behind the scenes. If, if you thought fear at the pier with Bernie was a big deal, I wish we had some of the Chad Sid moments on video. But I respect this kid and this man. Thank you. To the, to the end of the day, he's a great leader he, he has rebuilt this for john and margo and again he served his country nothing but love for you thank, thank you, you. Sid. you're thank welcome you. 77 wabc this is sit in friends in the morning no i get by with a little help from my friends i think now looking back we did not fight the enemy we fought ourselves and the enemy was in us the war is over for me now, but it will always be there the rest of my days, as I'm sure Elias will be, fighting with bars for what Ra called possession of my soul. There are times since I felt like a child born of those two fathers. But be that as it may, those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again teach to others what we know and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life. That's a heck of a scene, my favorite war movie. I know people will argue with me, but I love Platoon. I thought Charlie Sheen was great there and up in that helicopter leaving Vietnam. Is this Neil Young? Dire Straits, Brothers Oh, oh Dire Straits. What was it again? Little? Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms, right. The great Mark Knopfler and Dire Straits. Vietnam, that was uh, a large portion, too, of Alan Dershowitz's documentary last night. All that went on around the United States, from Kent State to Richard Nixon and all that was part of that documentary. But my next guest is a really decorated colonel and a hero. This man I love. So I love watching him with Imus before he even got to the Imus show. And now 
since I got to the IMS show in 2000 and since I've hosted my own show, number one in New York, he's become a good friend of mine, and I'm honored. On this uh, Veterans Day celebration, Veterans Day coming up tomorrow, this is the great Colonel Jack Jacobs. Colonel Jack, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm okay for an old man, and uh, thanks very much for having me on the show, Seth. It's an honor. I mean that. I, I really do. I bring on other Colonel. I bring on Jack Keen and other folks, uh, Higby across the street, and I love all of them. Don't get me wrong, but I believe you're the best when it comes to talking about war then and, and war now. But I want to get to your war because we've talked about this before. Of all the wars, and I guess in history we consider 12 major wars. I don't know why they don't consider Iraq and Afghanistan one, but they leave it as the Persian Gulf War in the early 1990s. But in every war that I can remember, I don't remember veterans coming home and being treated as shabbily as you guys. And I have to tell you, Jack, in the streets of New York, there are still a ton of Vietnam vets living in the street while the migrants are staying in five-star hotels. That doesn't piss you off? It should annoy everybody. I mean, it, it, nobody makes very good decisions sometimes when he's under duress. And politicians are no different than anybody else. Uh, sometimes, no, all the time. It takes good leadership to make good decisions. And you can always question whether or not we have decent leaders. Bad decisions are always poorly made. Uh, and then we live to regret them and live to regret putting those people in office. Well, let me ask you this, talking about bad decisions and putting people in office, was going, and listen, I speak to you guys, uh, guys that went to Iraq, Afghanistan, guys that are now quadriplegics, and they said they would do it again tomorrow. But was going to Vietnam in the first place a bad decision? Well, uh, the short answer is probably yes. You know, people forget the fact that during the Second World War, we had advisors, OSS advisors, which eventually became the CIA, with Ho Chi Minh, and when the war was over, Ho Chi Minh asked us to assist them uh, to get some influence on the French to get out of there, and we said no. We said, well, the French are our allies, forgetting the fact that, uh, that de Gaulle hated the United States, despite the fact that we made it easy for him to come, to come take over France when the war was over. And furthermore, he took French forces out of NATO and was not necessarily our friend. Now, 50, 60 years later, we're great friends with, uh, with Vietnam, and they're asking us to do something which we desperately need to do is to help protect them against the encroaching Chinese. Yeah, it, was, uh, it turned out to be a lousy strategic decision. Uh, 58,000 of, of our fellow Americans were killed. 300,000 or more uh, were wounded, including me. Uh, it was a terrible decision, and... and Cooler heads, smarter heads, more strategically oriented heads. If they had prevailed, all that would never have happened, Sid. Well, I agree. And I've seen uh, a lot of movies. I I was born in 1967. Obviously, Jack, I can't uh, harken back to the times. But even Tom Cruise, I thought his portrayal uh, in uh, Born on the Fourth of July was uh, pretty heartbreaking. A uh, kid that was just your, your average American, middle America kid and Look what his life uh, turned out to be. But I would ask you, where were you uh, when, in fact, you found out you were going to Vietnam? And what did you expect when you got there? Well, I volunteered to go. You know, I thought uh, I came into the Army because I thought it was my obligation to serve. I thought that if if you live in a free country, you owe it something in the form of service. My father had 
fought in in the army in the South Pacific and New Guinea, the Philippines, uh, during the Second World War, uh, had been dragged out of college. He was at the University of Minnesota studying electrical engineering. Dragged out, I don't know, with about eight weeks to go before graduation. Oh my God! Hated that. Hated hated the army. Hated getting shot at. Nobody likes that. Got out of the army the instant that he could when the war was over. And yet, when he got to be my age, all he would talk about was how proud he was at having saved the world. Uh, I thought then, and I still think today, that everybody owes something in the form of service, and that's why I joined. I was going to come in the Army for three years, do my bit, and get out, but I stayed, and I stayed because I really loved the people, and I didn't want to leave them. And today, whenever I'm around people who are in uniform or people who have been in uniform, I always feel a lot better, Sid. No, I'm sure you do. No, of course, as you should. I have a very dear friend. His name is Tom Sullivan. He's uh, now a local politician. He was on about two hours ago, Colonel Jack, and he served in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Kuwait. And I said, listen, when you got there, I'm sorry. I don't care how tough you are. You know, you're on foreign territory. There's people out there that want to kill you every day. When you got there, were you a bit nervous, or were you, let's go, let's do this? And he said to me, let's go, let's do this. And I believe him. What about you? Well, I was always scared in combat when I was getting shot at. And, and when I wasn't getting shot at, I was scared I would soon get shot at. But uh, uh, it's a lot of people think that, be, that fear is something that paralyzes you. And when you're in the midst of a very difficult a crisis situation and you're surrounded by people who will take care of you and who you have to take care of, that fear galvanizes you, makes you act and do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. You know, years after I was in Vietnam, people asked me, what, what was I thinking about when, when, uh, when I was in the middle of combat? And I said, it was only, I was thinking about exactly what my, my buddies were thinking about, uh, uh, eliminating the enemy and taking care of each other. Uh, it, nothing focuses your attention like a crisis situation like that. Uh, we all had plenty of fear, but it made us do what we needed to do, Sid. I want to get to what happened to you there because you're one of the most decorated um, Army people uh, in the history of our of our service. You've got just about every award, Purple Heart, you name it. Uh, but was there ever hand-to-hand combat for you, or was it basically you were firing your gun from a distance? No, uh, we were always in close with the enemy. So uh, I was down in the Fourth Corps in the Delta in the southern part of Vietnam, uh, and uh, the enemy was all Viet Cong in 1967 and 68. Uh, they all had bunkers. They had set up an ambush, big L-shaped ambush, and had about and did it for about two or three days before we encountered them. Uh, and the result of that, the result of the conflict where I was, was very close in fighting. So it wasn't long-distance shooting at all. So eventually you did get hurt after uh, your heroic stay there. I don't know uh, exactly what happened. Uh, if you would provide the details, uh, what exactly happened to you in Vietnam? Well, we we walked into a big uh, ambush that the enemy uh, the enemy knew we had uh, what our operations plan was. I found out 46 years after the fact, talking to the enemy commander who was opposite me in that engagement, uh, who had been a, a Viet Cong district chief in 1968. Uh, and we sat down and talked about the battle for about an hour and a half. And he said that they had a spy in our headquarters and they knew exactly where we were, we were coming, when we were coming. They had three days to set up this big L-shaped ambush and waited until we got 
our forward elements, including me, my NCO, and, and two companies, uh, were about 50 meters away, and they opened up with small arms and automatic weapons and mortars and so on. We lost a great number of people killed and wounded in the initial uh, initial action, and then uh, I was wounded too right away. Uh, but I thought that uh, if I didn't do something, we were we were all going to die, and all my friends would die, and I, I wasn't going to put up with that. So you survived, thank God, and you're here to tell us about it today, the great Colonel Jack Jacobs, a truly terrific American. Jack, not that you were worried about it, of course, you just wanted to survive the day. You, you talked about that, but were you aware when you were in Vietnam of the protests going on, the Kent States, all that stuff? The, because most people said to me early in Trump's stay, that if you think today is bad, you should have seen 1968. By the way, those same people now admit that it is worse now. But for a while there, that was the go-to line. You should have seen 1968. Were you aware when you were fighting what these people in this country were doing on a daily basis? Oh, yeah, sure. And, and don't forget, a lot of the people who were in uniform were drafted. I mean, they didn't volunteer. About half of them were drafted, didn't like being just like my father didn't like very much getting shot at. Right. And we're, we're, we're aghast. We're aghast that people uh, who were had it easy uh, back in the States were not supporting them. And in fact, when they came home, were, were spit on and were treated very, very badly, not only by their fellow Americans, but also by the government. Um, but when you're, you know, it's kind of interesting when you're in the middle of it, when people are ardently trying to kill you, uh, you're not thinking about right. uh, large-scale politics. You're thinking about getting through the day, killing <laughs> you know, the enemy and taking yeah. care of your buddies, and politics doesn't in, enter into it in the least. No, I can see that. Uh, Bo Dealer reminded me, of course, that uh, Jack also won the Congressional Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest of, of all medals, and deservedly so. So you mentioned it. I mentioned it earlier, too, about how specifically of all the wars, I remember Vietnam vets uh, treated the worst, and I mean by a distance now we know about the protests we know about all that but what is it why was that why was that and why still is that the case well there are a couple of reasons uh, one of one of them is that the government uh, didn't know how to operate that war very well uh, they made decisions on an incremental basis we started with a few people there and wound up when i got there with half a million americans getting shot at in vietnam uh, it was the that's that's one reason. So they did a lousy job of trying to the government did of trying to figure out what to do in Vietnam. The second thing is that we had a draft that was totally and completely arbitrary. Instead of everybody serving, which you, you're talking to somebody who believes in universal service, but instead of everybody serving, they had a lottery. And if your birthday came up towards the beginning of the lottery, you got drafted. Nice. Other people didn't. They also had a wide variety of exclusions. If you had, uh, if you were in college, you didn't have to go. Why that was, uh, it's difficult to say, even in hindsight. So there were all kinds of uh, arbitrary decisions that were made to make things easy politically for politicians who were making those decisions and senior people in the military establishment. And it's not surprising that a wide gulf opened up between those who were serving, and those who were being served. And in the end, it was a failed experiment in any case. It's not surprising that uh, that people didn't take it very well, and it's and still a bitter taste, particularly among those of us who served, 
55 years after the fact. Colonel Jack Jacobs, he said, you're for universal service. And, you know, uh, I'm not because I've got a son, Gabriel, and I'm scared to death of what happened to him. And I, I remember even when people voted uh, for the Iraq war, that uh, when uh, that fat, stupid producer went uh, bowling for Columbine, whatever his name is, went to talk to the people in Congress, and he said, you voted for the war, but are you willing to send your son? And they said, no. So uh, your one story, you actually did serve, and your dad did serve. You come from a family of service, but you do realize that lots of Americans say the right thing, of course, until it is one of their own. You know that. Well, it's always the case, you know. It's, uh, people talk a good game, but when uh, when it comes down to it, only a very few people are willing to, to, to act in a crisis. You know what's really interesting is that we forget about this. When, when we try to stay out of the Second World War, uh, when we ended the war, the war in Europe had already been going on for two and a half years. The war in Asia for a decade, people were getting slaughtered on two continents. We tried to stay out of it. We Even the president of the United States said, we're not going to war. After the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on the 7th of December, 1941, on the 8th of December, hundreds of thousands of young people stream to reception stations around the country yeah, yeah, yeah. to go defend the robot. Well, listen, that happened after 9-11. I mean, look at Pat Tillman. This guy was making $3 million a year, had uh, the best life anybody could have in the National Football League, gorgeous wife, beautiful kids. He saw those buildings come down to lower Manhattan, and the next thing you know, he's a victim of friendly fire in Afghanistan, and it's going on right now, as you know, in Israel. In fact, last week, I believe 100 folks who lived here in the city went and volunteered to go fight for the Israelis. So sometimes, yes, these conflicts do, in fact, inspire people to grab a gun. Yeah, you have to. But, but what's more important is that we all have to make a contribution to this country. And, and if we don't do that, then then every little thing will separate us, and that's no good. We need to have leadership, good leadership, and, and people who are willing to do what they need to do in order to make us all free. Two more minutes, I'll let you run. Uh, talking about universal service, a lot of folks are very, very critical of our Army right now. Uh, it depends who you talk to. Some say we're still the best in the world. Others say, oh, my God, if China ever starts a war, they're going to kick our ass because we're too woke. The whole woke argument. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we've got a lot of problems in the military establishment, not the least significant of which is that we can't recruit sufficient people to actually defend us. I think the last statistics that I saw is that most recently the Army fell 25 percent short of the people it needed uh, to recruit. Uh, only the Marine Corps has sufficient numbers of people in recruitment, and, and uh, their numbers are not particularly large in any case. The Chinese have the largest uh, Navy in the world. They're encroaching all over the Western Pacific. Um, they are really making life extremely difficult for us. We are stretched thin around the globe. And there's a, there's a cogent argument that we need to spend lots more time in the military establishment teaching people what they need to do in order to defeat the enemy and survive in a very, very difficult battlefield, uh, rather than turning the military establishment into a social experiment, which it should not be, Sid. Last couple of seconds here, Colonel Jack Jacobs, a real hero. Israel, you know how I feel. Uh, it doesn't matter. they got to win. And uh, if innocents die, it's going to sound very insensitive. Tough. That's uh, They started it. October 7th, they went into Israel, and they destroyed innocent people. 
Uh, but there's a lot of folks who want pauses and ceasefires. They're worried about the uh, the enemy. Uh, as far as you are concerned, does Israel go in there and just level Gaza, destroy Hamas at any cost? Yes or no? Well, they have the ability to be very specific about what targets they hit because they have precision-guided munitions, and so that makes it easier to avoid collateral damage. Although it makes it easier to avoid it, but if we're going to have a, a legitimate conversation here, Jack, innocents are going to die. That's the bottom line. Yes, that's, always the, that's always the case in war. Innocent people die. Good Look, good guys have guns, bad guys have guns. Uh, civilians are in the middle, and there hasn't been a war in history in which people who are non-combatants get killed. But at the end of the day, if you perceive that you're in an existential fight, which Israel is, you have to do you have a responsibility to do whatever you need to do in order to make sure that you survive, Sid. Jack, I love you. You know I mean that. You've been on with me for many, many, many years, from Imus uh, to my shows here, and you're just a tremendous American. You're a brilliant guy, and I appreciate every time you come on on these special days. So please stay well and keep coming back, my friend. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the program, Sid. Always available. Oh, thank you so much. There he is, uh, highly decorated. He's got them all, Congressional Medal of Honor, Purple Heart. And you know, uh, Jack, yeah, a little even him. before I did, from I, the Imus days. I know him well. He's one of the best people you could ever meet. He is. He is, uh, as the Jewish people say, a gitana shimmer, which means a good soul. Smart and yeah. just a great person. Great He's person. Always. Yes, thank you very much, Colonel Jack Jacobs. We'll uh, get to the news when we come back. Another great person, another guy that served... And now is representing somebody who many folks in New York think is a hero, including me. That's Daniel Penny. We'll talk to my attorney friend, Thomas Kniff, after Jim Flippin with the news. Through these fields of destruction, baptisms of fire, I've witnessed your son. Friends in the morning. rock and roll song. So, today we celebrate the Marines' 248th birthday. A happy birthday to the Marine Corps. You know who was a Marine? Daniel Penny. 
Daniel Penny went on the subway one day, and some out-of-control young man decided he was going to threaten everybody on that train, threaten them with death, mind you, with death. Psycho, who had run-ins with all kinds of folks, including punching a lady, 61-year-old defenseless lady across the face. And Daniel Penny did what any Marine and great American and a hero would do. He subdued this guy. Now, unfortunately, this guy died. No one's happy about that, not especially Daniel. The guy died. But don't confuse the issue. Daniel Penny did what most New Yorkers should do. Instead of bitching and complaining, stand up for yourself. He wasn't standing up for himself. He was standing up for a trainload of people, including African-American folks. One lady said, he saved my life. One gentleman helped him. He's a Marine. And his attorney is another hero who served this country proudly. And he's become a dear, dear friend of mine. His name is Thomas Kniff. And he's joining me right now on this happy Veterans Day Friday. Tommy, thank you for your service. And it's, it's, as I always say, it's been a privilege. And uh, it's a privilege to be on the air with you as always, buddy. Good to, get to, uh, get to connect with you. Well, thank you for saying that. You know how I feel about you. I only wish to God that you had beaten Alvin Bragg. But, you know, no one knew who you were. I'm being honest. Uh, you know, I did. Mike Sullivan did. But, you know, and you're a war hero, all those things. But... I really believe, Thomas, as high profile as you are now, defending a guy like Daniel Penny, people becoming more and more aware of what uh, you have done in your lifetime, much like my friend Tom Sullivan, who you know very well, you're friends with him too. I believe if you run again, you'll have a a legitimate opportunity to win. So before we get into your military career, are you at the very least seriously considering taking another shot? You know, I mean, it really doesn't, that hasn't crossed my mind, uh, you know, in any real way. And and a lot of that just really has to do with, you know, since that election, uh, you know, just been so busy with things. You know, I I was serving on active duty for a while in uh, the the COVID response here in New York. And then, you know, I got back to my private practice and, you know, you mentioned Danny's case and, you know, it's a uh, it's a hectic, busy life. I know you understand because you live one oh. too, and, and then you add, add you know three little kids in the mix. And, oh boy, it's a lot. You know, no, it's a lot. I'm worried about I'm worried about getting through today. No, I know, but you when know. you consider well, we'll what never, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll when see. you can, you but know, when you consider Tom, Tom, when you consider what a horrible, horrible DA Alvin Bragg is, whether it's Donald Trump or or your your client or Daniel Penny, the you know, which eventually led to a grand jury. When you consider. All that, uh, Thomas, it's got to make you want to try just a little. No, he's so bad at his job. Well, listen, I mean, you know, I, I have there's a lot that D.A. Bragg and I do not agree on, uh, you know, regarding the approach to the criminal justice system and probably never will agree on. And, and that's that's why I, you know, I ran in the first place. It wasn't just a run against him. I mean, I looked at the Democratic field and said, look, you know, I think that this is incredibly you know, this whole progressive approach to criminal justice is incredibly ill-advised, incredibly wrongheaded. It is going to lead the city into, uh, you know, ruin, um, or certainly to put it in a very, very bad place. I mean, I, you could, you know, the people that were paying attention to my election, you know, they can find videos I made in, in you know, two, early 2021, you know, saying exactly just that. And then fast forward and, you know, here we are. I, I think it's all, you know, all, all on Alvin Bragg's shoulders. No, absolutely not. There's a lot of people that bought in on this progressivism. Um, 
you know, but but it it, it is it is putting lives at stake. It has taken lives, and the cruel irony, as I always point out, is the people most victimized by these insane progressive policies are, you know, the very same people that the progressives at least purport to be championing, you know, people from low-income communities, minorities, so forth. They're the ones that nine times out of 10, 98 times out of 100, are the victims of the lawlessness that, you know, we've been living in for the last few years. And that, that's the saddest part. True. No, you're right. So uh, in terms of military service, I had Tom Sullivan on earlier. And uh, Thomas, as you know, served in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Kuwait. Uh, Then I Uh spoke uh, to a young man named uh, Tashi Fleischer. He's an IDF Israeli soldier. He's fought all over the Middle East. Uh, Then I spoke to uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs, and he fought, of course, in Vietnam, I believe you were in Iraq and Afghanistan, but I could be wrong. Where exactly did you say? I, I was in not Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, and I, I was in Iraq for all, all of 2005. Um, uh, you know, I got there, you know, right in the uh, right in the lead up to the first elections. Uh, so it was it was a very difficult time to be there because that's right when you know the. It was like the, heart, the, the height of the IED period and, and all that. Um, but, you know, it was a hopeful time as well because, then, you know, we had these elections. The Iraqis seemed enthusiastic. And, you know, there was a lot of optimism. I mean, it ended as it ended. Um, but, you know, uh, look, uh, looking back on it, you know, uh, should we have went? Should we have won? I mean, you know. Could debate that, uh, go back and forth all day. But, you know, the people that were there, the people that I served with were committed to the mission. I, my impression of the Iraqis that I interacted with, I think some, you know, very, very objective ways, you know, I always talk about, you know, we, when you flew in a, when you fly in a combat zone, uh, you know, you don't, you don't fly in a black hawk at 5,000 feet. You're flying at, you know, 60 feet off the ground yes. because that's the best way to avoid getting shot down. I mean, we would approach power lines. And the pilots would have to raise the aircraft to get over the power line and drop it back down. You know, and without fail, when we went over, you know, an Iraqi home or past an Iraqi village, you know, they'd run out of the homes and just, you know, waving to us with smiles on their face. You know, so I, I do believe that, you know, we were a welcome presence there by, you know, the rank and file Iraqis. Um, no, it didn't seem know. that way. I got to tell you, when they knocked down that big statue of well, Hussein, it you know, didn't seem that way. You know, it, 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 there's certainly you know a resistance, and and whether those right rank and file Iraqis were, were able to or were willing to you know sort of lay down their lives for freedom, like you know the the, the you know Western you know European American Revolution type mentality. That that's a different story. But I don't think that the average Iraqi. You know, I think on on a lot of levels they believed in what the message was. Um, I, I don't know that they were willing to lay their lives down for it. That that yeah. made the difference. And of course, that the, there was this volatile, um, you know, uh, resistance that that you know uh, did tremendous amount of damage not only the American forces but to, to to Iraq and Iraqis. You know, so that that was the complexity of the situation. You know, people here, like uh, my former partner Bernard, God rest his soul, he was one of the very, very few that was against the war. I mean, that was a bipartisan decision 
to go in. You know, we love George Bush, and they threatened to kill his father, and uh, Saddam Hussein was murdering his own people, and they're the ones who started 9-11. By the way, uh, that was never proven to be true. And uh, people like Bernard would beat his chest. I told you not to do this. And then he would say things like, look, every time I went into one of these places, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, uh, Gaddafi in Libya, those countries ended up worse off. We thought we were killing the bad guys, and another guy would come in and be worse. Any truth uh, to that? Know, it, it, it's interesting you mentioned Bernard rest of all because Razor and I, you know, we, we commissioned in together. We served in the DA's office together under Judge Janine. And, you know, we would actually he, – he was adamantly against going into Iraq before either of us even knew we'd deploy there. And we used to go back and forth, and, and, and I supported it because, you know, look, my view is, yeah, of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, the intelligence at that time indicated that Saddam Hussein, you know, was, was stockpiling weapons of mass destruction. Turned out probably to be wrong. Um, probably that was what, that was what <laughs> the availability is. Well, you know, that's what the intelligence said. And, and Saddam Hussein acted like you know he he wanted you know like like the way a mafia boss or like way Gotti put himself out there is. Uh, you know, he, he wanted to, you know, be perceived on the international stage as someone who had these weapons. He didn't really disavow it. Um, you know, obviously, if you know now, if we knew then what we now, I guess, you know, yeah. people would have, uh, a lot of people would have thought things, you know, differently. No, I thought he had him too. I, I would have bet my life he had him too. But I will say this on the way out, Thomas. Once again, this is attorney Thomas Kniff. He's Daniel Penny's attorney. But before he did that, he served in Iraq, and what a great, great person to have on as we get set to celebrate Veterans Day tomorrow. This is a truly great American. You know, I was talking to Colonel Jack Jacobs. I know you heard it. And um, sure. he admitted uh, that it was a mistake to go into Vietnam. Uh, that didn't deter him when he got there. He went there to kill, and he would make that same decision again tomorrow. When you guys sign up, you sign up for the country, you do what you're told. But he did admit that it was probably a mistake, but... Uh, he also admits that that was the greatest time of his life, despite almost being killed on a field in Vietnam. Is that true for you? Was that time? And I know you still go back and do stuff with the service, but at least uh, in Iraq, would you consider that uh, as dangerous as it was the time of your life? You know, it, it was a very special time. I mean, look, you know, I am, you know, people thank me for my service all the time. And, you know, to the extent I thank the, gra- I, I accept that gratitude. I, you know, when I have the opportunity, and I guess I'll take it now, I, I accept the gratitude, and, and I think most people who serve accept that gratitude, not not for ourselves, but on behalf of those that didn't serve, that did serve, and wound up less fortunate than we did, and, and arguably as importantly, the future generations to come. Right. You know, we as a country, we need to respect our military, not because someone wants to go out there and respect the Tom Kinnis of the world, but to show that, you know, that, that, that those teenagers that, you know, are, are, you know, maybe vacillating over whether they want to start an OnlyFans account or get hooked on opioids <laughs> yeah, or do right. all the, True. you know, the nonsense that, that I saw a Pentagon study that 77 percent of American high school students are service unqualified, even if they wanted to join because of, you know, whether it's drugs, mental illness, obesity, they couldn't even get in. So you have, we have to send a message to the country, you know, to the, to the, this generation and future generations that, that 
serving in the military is something revered. And I think one of the ways we do that as a country is by honoring our veterans. Um, you know, so for me, yeah, it was a special time. And I can't, I, I couldn't even quantify, you know, the, what I've gotten in my life from having made that sacrifice to the point that, it, it, you know, in some ways it, it, it was a sacrifice, but, but I bet benefited more than I could have ever imagined. I never planned it that way. Never planned it. Yeah, I could never yeah. seen it that way. Right. But, you know, my company commander didn't come back. Uh, his executive officer didn't come back. So, you know, you have that sort of, I don't want to call it survivor's guilt, but, you know, you, you walk around with that. You say, look, I went on, and 20 years later, I had this big life. I'm, on the, I'm talking to you on the biggest radio show in New York. Thank and the people I served with that, you know, they, they didn't come back to, 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 to rejoin their families. You know, that, that's a tough thing. Well, you're a beautiful guy, Thomas. I love you. Uh, thank you for your service. That's uh, a great, great uh, uh, appearance you had just here. Really a great appearance. Thank you for your service, and happy Veterans Day, and uh, good luck to Daniel. Quickly, i only got 30 seconds. What's next for Daniel Penny? It's, it's gone away, basically, in the news. Well, you know, we got a, you know, there's so much going on in the world um, that, that uh, you know, the, the case didn't get so much attention when we filed our motions, or a lot of people didn't catch it, but I encourage everyone to look at, at, at the articles about the, the, the motions to dismiss we filed, which is still pending, because we really went into the detail of what the witnesses that were on that subway car said in the grand jury. Perfect. And it's just yeah. eye-opening. I mean, right. afraid for their life, never been so Black people, scared. too, by the way. Black people for the short ones uh, out yeah. there. Right. Women, right. women cowering behind strollers with their children because yep. they were so afraid and nearly. Yep. Really awful stuff. So I'm hoping, you know, we're going to have a hearing next month. and. And look, maybe the judge will do the right thing here. We'll see. Thomas, thank you again. You're the best. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Sir. Thanks so much. I love that guy, Thomas Kniff. You know, he ran against Alvin Bragg, but he's doing some tremendous work right now. Veteran Daniel Penny's attorney and one of the nicest human beings. By the way, Tom, Franco Harris says hello. I had to tell him Franco Harris says hello. We'll take a short break. When we get back, it will not be a Veterans Day without my next guest. Because his song, yes. His song says it all. He was live in studio last year. He's a friend at this point. We will talk to the great Lee Greenwood coming up next. Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be 
So we played a lot of very patriotic music today, but only one song did we play the entire song. Lee Greenwood, happy Veterans Day, you beautiful American hero. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Good morning. And happy, happy to talk to you again on New York in this very special Veterans Day weekend. Yeah, last year you were in studio. You did the song live, and it was amazing. It's the only song, again, I played the, the whole song this morning because it really has become sort of the uh, de facto national anthem after the Star Spangled Banner, which is a, a huge testament to you. Now, you got a big, big thing going on here, Lee. 77 WABCs involved, your dear friends, John and Margot. When you talked about this last year, it's called the Lee Greenwood Concert Experience. It all comes your way this Sunday. This is unbelievable. You can send a veteran and their guest to see Lee Greenwood's all-star concert experience. Also get the DVD version for just a $50 contribution. You can learn more right now at AdoptAVet.com. This is uh, a long time in the making, Lee Greenwood, but it's here on Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, it has been. And to tell you the truth, with the movies that were released by Beyonce and Taylor Swift to bring entertainment (laughs) to the whole nation, that's exactly what we intended to do. A one-time concert with 10,000 people there. There was no way we could put any more people in the theater, so we made it available to motion picture theaters all across America. It does air on Sunday. 
and and if you go to adoptavet.com, you'll find out what theater is available. Send a veteran and their caregiver to the movies for free. Wow. And look at this uh, cash. Now, if I'm wrong about this, Gavin uh, DeGraw, Scott Stapp, I knew him from Delray Beach, Debbie Boone, uh, Sam Moore, uh, Lee Bryce, Dustin Lynch, Michael Ray, Big and Rich, Oak Ridge Boys, Crystal Gale, The Isaacs, Jamie Johnson, Mark Wills, Larry Gatlin, and, of course, you, all these uh, great Grand Ole Opry stars, Country Music Hall of Fame stars. This is an unbelievable roster of guests here, Lee Greenwood. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people thought we could get that many artists together. Every one of them at one time has filled up stadiums and done theaters all across America. So to get that many together at the same time, it wasn't exactly a chore, though. You know, I made some calls. It was a few that had conflicts with schedule, but otherwise everybody said, yes, I'll be there and we'll donate our time. And we're proud to do it. And so it was stunning performances, one right after another. I'm not going to sit here and say there aren't uh, pop stars or rock stars that don't love this country. That would be uh, stupid. Not even ignorant, but stupid. But why is it, Lee Greenwood, that the overwhelming percentage of country music stars seem to appreciate the red, white, and blue more than any other genre? You know, I don't know that that's exactly a true statement, but I I do believe that, you know, every redneck that puts an American flag on the back (laughs) of his pickup truck and goes to the rodeo, you know, it's it's Americana at its best. It's true. To tell you the truth, NASCAR does the same thing. You know, I'll avoid some of the other sports that may not, but I'll tell you what, to be in the South now, and I'm originally from California, that state's gone to hell in a handbasket. Uh, but but to be from there and now live in the South, which Nashville may be the belt buckle of the Bible belt, uh, I am proud to be here. I'm a conservative Christian, and all the people surround me and, and uh, that are around me, I actually, it's wonderful to have an element of America that all pull in the same direction, and that is they love this country just like I do, and, and they believe in, and I, I hear the people that you have on the radio there uh, that are soldiers and that have actually done combat. It's unbelievable that we're enjoying such a wonderful life here, and people don't have the time to honor a veteran. Come on, man. You're right. It's sad. I mean, I brought on, uh, you heard the last guest, Lee Tom Kniff, who's a big-time attorney now, but I brought on guys today from, they served in the Vietnam, the Gulf War, uh, Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan. A couple of them got shot. Their friends were killed. And you're right. People just, uh, they go about their business as if what they're doing is all that important, when, of course, it's really not. I do love Nashville. I had the chance, I told you last year, to see Vince Gill and uh, Amy Grant at the Grand Ole Opry many, many, many years ago on John Daly's golf tournament, actually, in Nashville 25 years ago. It's a wonderful place, and it is a very American place. But you mentioned rednecks and pickup trucks. Now, did you not write that great song in the back of your own yes. pickup truck? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it was in the back of my bus. Uh, but yeah, it might as well have been a pickup truck. And we, you know, we rolled down the highway. I'm on the road all week this week. I was in Florida at the boys ranch near Palatka on, uh, two days ago. Last night, uh, we were in Montgomery, Alabama tonight in Texarkana, Texas tomorrow for Veterans Day with a crowd of about 10,000 outdoors in Orange Grove, Texas. And then sing Sunday for the Dallas Cowboys, still America's team. I think, you know, the halftime. And then, of course, then the movie airs that day as well. So it's a really busy week for us. And I see people all across America who are waving flags. They are proud of America. So maybe the media talks about those that aren't so proud of America. You know, it's funny what you just mentioned is uh, you and I become friends. And you know I have the utmost esteem, and I love you, by the way. But you lost me for a second only because I'm a lifelong Giants fan. And my Giants, who right now may be the worst team in football next to Carolina, that's the team you're going to kick my ass on Sunday in Dallas, yeah. aren't you? 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Football is football. I mean, you know, on a given Sunday, it can happen. Uh, I like college ball actually a lot more than I do. Oh, really? What, what, what's your college team? Well, University of Tennessee. I mean, of course, I'm, I'm in Tennessee, so we support the Orange, and I've been there for 40 years, so it's kind of something I do all uh, the time. That's a great program. The volunteers, Peyton Manning, my friend Anthony Carone, his kid goes. He's probably uh, very happy right now that Tennessee volunteers, that is a great school and a great program. So uh, on the way out, Lee, uh, for folks, again, who want to check this, uh, this film out on Sunday, it sounds like an absolute spectacular. It really does. Uh, give the folks the easiest way to do it, and, of course, mention support a veteran take one with you and uh you got something coming your way as well tell us about the whole deal on sunday yeah it's really important that we honor our veterans on veterans day weekend of course uh, tomorrow being veterans day we're extending it through sunday with the release of our film to motion picture theaters all across america over 600 theaters there are many more than that but these are the ones that have agreed the very large complexes go to the website adoptavet.com once again that's adoptavet.com buy tickets for a veteran and a caregiver, or even better yet, those people who have corporations, go to AdoptTheVet.com, buy out the theater, just like WABC has done there in New York, and I want to thank you for that. AdoptTheVet.com. Lee Greenwood, you're a great American and really a terrific guy. Thank you for hopping on. Good luck with the movie. You're not going to need it, but good luck with the film on Sunday, and keep doing your thing, buddy. Thank you. God bless the USA, man. Thank you. Happy Veterans Day. God bless the USA. Happy Veterans Day to you. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Oh, the great, great Charles. Don't forget to donate, folks. Go to, you can leave this playing, wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate today. A special thanks to Frank Siller and the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for putting this show on and all day on WABC. Thank you, Frank. And John Katsimatidis and Margo and Chad, of course, who served proudly. Thank you, Chad. All of our guests today were terrific. And to all you veterans out there, let me tell you, man, we love you. We love you. This show, this city, this state, this country. I know it gets ugly sometimes, but we love you. So, from my man Lou Rafino, who was just tremendous this week. Justin Ellick, the same. Jim Flippin, doing a great job filling in for Noam Lane. And Noam, too, helped book our great IDF guest earlier. We want to wish everybody out there a happy Veterans Day. Please stop and thank cops and soldiers and people that keep us safe in our own city and around the world. Enjoy your weekend, folks. From all of us to all of you, as Gene would say, God willing, till 6 a.m. Monday morning. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.